Hey everybody, welcome to We've Got Ward, a doof media podcast series where we expertly dissect and discuss Ward, while those return to the world of parahumans. My name is Matt Freeman, and my co-host over here currently smashing his head against the side of his time bubble is uh, Scott Daly. Let me out of here. Every day is the same. I wake up, make the coffee, smash my head against the wall, make some lunch, smash my head against the wall, record a podcast, smash my head against the wall, and sleep. Wake up, coffee, wall, snack, wall, sleep, wall. Let me out of this house! Do you have any moments of relaxation? Sometimes, while smashing my head against the wall, I look at the sun until I can't see anymore. That's nice. Yeah. This is the weekly podcast where Matt and I eagerly dive into Wild Bo's world of sexual scavenging, the death of containment foam, and alien-based death powers as we analyze and interpret this ongoing web serial. This week, we're properly in the epilogues now as we go through chapters E2 and E3. First, Chastity picks through the ruins of Earth Gamma while under the effect of Rain's I Suck Aura. After beating the shit out of herself, Chastity uses the power of friendship as a prelude to a warmer future. Then, Jeff the Nice Number Boy recalls the early days of the Slaughterhouse Nine while heading to LA with Sveta to confront the time-looping Jack Slash. Then, lost and without purpose, Five, thanks to Sveta, finds a new home with everyone's favorite band of malfunctional majors. Matt, what did you think of these this week's chapters? Well, obviously, we're going to be spending uh, a lot of time talking about containment foam this week. <laughs> uh, I think we blocked out a good hour and a half chunk of containment yeah, foam chat. Yeah. Just really, just really getting down to the nitty gritty. Yeah. I think we're going to inspect every single word in those two paragraphs to and just, you know, we just got to do some analysis of this, this supposed flaw. Yeah, right. And then, I mean, toward the end, we might get around to the chapters, but um, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like uh, you're doing real, real well under your uh, time loop <laughs> quarantine, by the way. I'm doing great. I'm doing uh -huh, great. Okay, good. Good to know. Um, All right. Yeah. I mean, these, these are more seriously. <clears throat> uh, uh, <laughs> These are these are great, right? Like, like I think I think we're starting to 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 get like a pattern of what these epilogues are, what they're going to feel like, what they're trying to do, and sort of the general um, template of them. You know, we're we're getting a sense of a, a direction of how this this new post you know second apocalypse, I guess, world is going to look, sure. and 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 what the characters within this world are going to be doing with themselves to to try to make for you know a brighter future. Yeah. And one of the things that I've really enjoyed, um, we've said the word satisfying like multiple times these last few weeks and each of the epilogues continues to be satisfying, but I think they're satisfying in individually unique ways. One of the things that I noticed this week as I was having conversations with people in our discord is how every person is relating to a specific epilogue differently like i was talking about how the chastity epilogue for whatever reason and this is something i thought about a lot today was why this particular epilogue affected me so much like i that was a very emotional part of the story for me was was chastity's chapter sure and, and as i said that i said that in chat and um everyone said yeah that's me but with the number man 
epilogue or yeah, that's, that's me, but with the Chevalier one. And I think that that's one of the really interesting things about these epilogues is that like, they are all wrapping up the themes and they all have this, this common motif among them, but they're speaking on a very personal level to each of these characters and therefore speaking differently to each individual person that's, that's reading them. And I think it's really cool that we could all read the same three chapters and, and say, this one affected me. I love them all, but this one affected me more. Well, well, this one affected me more. I just think that's really, really cool. Yeah, definitely. Um, that, that's funny because I hadn't considered like which of these affected me the most until until you put it to me. Um, and I now still can't. But I, I, <laughs> I've, I've liked all of them. I think I think maybe one one thing I would just say is like, yeah, I agree perfectly that 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 it um they each affect you in different ways, and I can mm-hmm. see people resonating to different chapters at different times. Maybe the chapter that I will resonate with the most hasn't happened yet very possible very possible all right scott it's time to get into these chapters yeah let's just do it no announcements this week let's just do some chapters all right chapter 20.e2 that is epilogue number two uh so yeah we continue with our second epilogue interlude and we're with chastity chastity as she scavenges through the ruins of the destroyed megacity and uh man does everything just suck for chastity Mm mm-hmm the text focuses on how uncomfortable she is, how unhappy she is, and how little little she thinks of herself, um, and basically just how she feels like nobody really likes her for her. Yeah, yeah. Chastity's internal voice is the thing that opens this chapter, and it opens it with a bang. In retrospect, I think it should have been a little more obvious to me that it was Rain's power that that these italicized thoughts were were coming from a little bit because. It certainly does match Victoria's thought process pattern when she was under this I suck aura, right? But it, it sure is sure is jarring. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't I, I didn't catch it and I didn't really think of I didn't really think of chastity as being this down on herself. And no, so I was no. like, man, this is this is awful. And and it, I didn't go I didn't go the next step of saying what's going on. Why why is it this way? I was just like, Oh, I guess she's way more, you know, depressive in her own thoughts than I realized. But no, of course it's it's the Rainora. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and one of the cool things about it, I think, is is just this this decision of who we're seeing these epilogues through, right? Like one of the patterns we started to notice, I think we can safely say with three chapters under our belt, is that each one of the epilogues is dealing with a member of breakthrough, kind of. Um, they are part of the chapter. Their resolution is seen in the chapter, but seen from a third party. And the cool thing about this is like we're also getting resolution for Chastity, who's a character we've seen several times throughout the story, who we've always seen externally. We've never really understood her as a person. And now we get to see this resolution from her perspective. And it kind of just like it it complicates the character so much. We thought we had a good handle on who she was. um, And she's so much more complicated than that. I mean, you, you always kind of assume there was more under under the surface there. But I don't think we quite realized just how much. I didn't have an accurate read on really who who Chastity was prior to this, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And so one of the other things that I think we'll be talking about at least a few times this week is this 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 other pattern that's beginning to emerge in these epilogue chapters. And I think that's that pattern is they all open really dark. They they open on really, really dark things like um, last week's opened on. Um, Chevalier's trigger event this week's opens on chastity just ripping herself a new one just being so cruel to herself Um, and the next chapter opens up on a little flashback to the birth of the slaughterhouse nine like the the night before their coming out party Um, and they all open on these really dark dour moments but then we get to this really like warm 
nice, hopeful moment by the end of them. And I think that's really, really interesting to me because it's kind of like if you read them all in quick succession, one after another, you're getting this kind of cycle, like the cycle of despair to hope, despair to hope, despair to hope. And I think that's a perfect way to kind of like encapsulate the story as a whole, like that the story just went through this this thing of like things were bad and then they got a little better and then they got a little more bad and they got better. But it's just like a way of like it's going to get dark, it's going to get bad, but there will always at the end of it, no matter what, be some sort of hope, some sort of warmth, some sort of uh, goodness coming into into the future. Yeah, I mean, almost like the arc titles symbolizing this procession of the sun across the sky and the right. darkness and then back into daylight. Yeah, right, 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 yeah. It's like you're, uh, this, this idea of acceptance, I think, goes hand in hand with this, essentially saying, you know, it's gonna it's going to be bad. There's going to be good times. There's going to be bad times. That's just how life is. You're kind of better off doing what you can to accept that that's going to be the way of it. Um, that that doesn't mean that doesn't mean pretend that it doesn't bother you when things are bad. But sure. but you know you're you, you definitely have to understand that things get bad sometimes. It's not the end of the world. Or yeah. I mean, even if it is the end of the world, <laughs> it's not the end of the world because yeah. the world has ended twice now and it's still not the end of the world. Yeah, so. yeah, I love that. I love yeah. that. Um, you know, there was one there was one thing in there where I I, I threw in the word just megacity like, oh, yeah, it's the megacity they're in. And I'm like, mm-hmm. man, isn't it fascinating that they still haven't named the city? I mean, I, I figured like at some point in this book they would. Sure, sure. And, and I think it really means something that they haven't because it's it's like it, it's it to, to me, it, it's reminiscent of like naming your trauma gives you power over it mm-hmm. or, or recognizing your trauma gives you power over it. And, sure. and everyone's refusal to sort of collectively come together and, and put a put a name on on their new city on their new attempt their their second their second try has always been like you know thematically tied to the reason why they they kind of failed mm-hmm. um and i don't know i think it would be really interesting if like by the end of the last epilogue they, they have decided on a name for their city um well i think be, the city is kind of dead so dead dead deadsville Deadton. Well, but the, but the capes. We learned the capes are gonna um, are gonna hold it, hold down the fort though. Sure, so they're sure. they're not just abandoning it fully. I think. I mean, I don't know. There's not that many capes, so so surely a lot of it will be abandoned. But yeah. but it would be it would be cool if they if if I don't know if they came up with some name for it beyond just like Earth Gimmel. <laughs> sure, I don't sure. Know. Just the thought. I know what you mean, and I, I mean I I love that too, and I think that's something we probably called out at some point during the reading of the book that the city still didn't have a name. Sure. And um, I thought it was very fitting. And, and, and I mean, I agree. It's kind of like humanity has just been holding their breath for these couple of years, right? Like it's like they built everything up as quickly as possible. They tried to get things back as quickly as possible. And then they just like held their breath because I don't think anyone, like I remember at the beginning of the story, how much people are talking about. It's like, there's been peace. There's been peace for two years. And like this idea that like nobody expected it to last, though, it was like nobody ever expected us like things to be OK again. Um, they've just been holding their breath this whole time. And I think part of not naming the city is part of that. Just that long, long, deep breath that they took and never let out. Um, uh-huh. And maybe the end will be finally releasing that breath. And, and and a lot of this epilogue seems to be that is like releasing that breath and then being like, OK, seriously, though, what now? Like what? Like not like what are we going to do what, how are we going to tackle the next thing but what now what is my life going to be now um and i, I love it 
Yeah, me too. I agree. Um, so basically, yeah. So so Chastity, she's going about the arduous process of um, dismantling a window to salvage the valuable components within while swearing a lot in extremely idiomatic uh, <laughs> Quebecois French. Mm-hmm. Um, and a voice keeps calling her from above every time she says something to herself, uh, which eventually we learn that this is rain. Yeah, I, I love this. I love this choice here. Like, I mean, this is very chastity, right? To to just slip into French, but not uh-huh. even like true French, like sangy, slangy Quebec French, right? Yeah. Um, it's also it's really interesting to me because like most of the people, if not all the people reading the story have no idea what she's saying. So like we're automatically like put at arm's length from her actual dialogue. And so we'll, you just said we we learned this is rain. Rain can't understand any of that either. Right. Um, And so like we're, all we've seen so far in this chapter is we've seen these, this internal monologue that is just ripping her apart. And then when she actually externalizes anything, it's in another language. So it just paints this beautiful picture of this person that is internally destructive and externally indecipherable. Um, and, and yeah. I, I think that that works so much. I, I really, I really love that as just the way to start with this character to really start to understand her. Sure. I, I think that's great because, you know, before, before we really started digging into stories the way we have been for these last, you know, years, I, I probably would have just been like, Oh yes, the, this author created a character, and they just gave them kind of a random grab bag of assorted qualities. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, she's she's attractive, and she swears in in a in a kind of a, a specific dialect frequently. Like that's her that's her thing. She swears in this one dialect. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like you said, it's always much more enriching to ask why does she do that? Sure. And because I mean, it, it is it, it is a very specific thing, and, and like you're saying, it, it's. It's a way of like expressing frustration without actually expressing anything. Yeah, no, no yeah. one is able to uh, other than like, oh, I noticed that she's having a hard time, but I can't actually figure out what it is because I can't even decipher her expression beyond just like noise of frustration. Right, right. Um, I think that's really interesting. Yeah. And, and only the people that are really, really paying attention see past it. And I think that's why the line that Rain gives a little bit later that says like, whenever you're stressed out, you start speaking more French. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that shows that rain is paying attention and, and seeing past just the external kind of indecipherable bullshit. Yeah. And also the French, of course, probably directly, you know, hooks into the heartbreaker, um, connection. In, right. Right. So, yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, so yeah, she, uh, she reflects on where she comes from and how she's internalized the sense of worthlessness that she learned as heartbreaker's daughter. Yeah. And, and heartbreakingly, <laughs> We see that she only sees any path to any sense of worth through sex, right? And this mm-hmm. is something that, like, I think if I if I had to guess what was Chastity's deal, just based on what we've seen externally, this is the part of it that I was like, yeah, I kind of I kind of thought that this would be it. Like she says, this line right here, I think, is so powerful. If you want kindness, Chastity Vassal, the closest you're ever going to get is from a man with a hard on and an urge. That's all you get. And that reality was decided before you were born. So it's both this idea of like kindness, the only the only kind of kindness you'll get. Like she, she talks about pity, disgust and hate. These are things that people will freely give her. But kindness only comes through sex, only comes with how you, you're valued as a sexual object. Um, mm-hmm. And not only that, but she, she sees it as something that is totally outside of her her 
her circle of agency. It's something she can't control. It's something entirely beyond her. Like yeah. this is I've been screwed. I've been cursed with this and there's nothing I can do about it ever. Yeah, it was decided before you were born. Yeah. There's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. And it's not even kindness. It's the closest thing to kindness, right? Right, right. yeah. Yeah. Ugh, um, it's awful. Yeah, it, it, it is, right? Um, and, and I think that we're being set up to kind of be shown that she she knows like she doesn't really believe this she's just kind of afraid of this if yeah. that makes sense yeah yeah um, i mean that's like a lot of your internal narrative is like you're so terrified of everything that like this is this is it, it's it's depressing and destructive but also like like it allows you to understand yourself in a way you know what i mean like yeah sometimes you just rip yourself apart because that feels like the safer thing to do it's yeah. like, like the, I, I, I've had those moments, not nothing like this, thank God, but like I've had those moments where it's just like, yeah, you suck. And it, and it feels good to like tell yourself that, you know, it's like this messed up. It's awful. It's, it's yeah. awful. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think we've all had some some form of this voice in our head at some point. Like we, yeah. all, we all know what this is like. Mm-hmm. This is extremely relatable and extremely kind of uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and Rain's power is making it even worse than it would be. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, this part of the chapter actually goes on quite a while as she's searching through this this building. And I wanted to mention at some point in here that there aren't many writers who can make like looking around a room for pieces of salvageable garbage read as this interesting, uh, like like riveting experience. It's really it's really great. Yeah, and I agree with that. And to me, I think it's because I think the metaphor just is so effective and so wonderful, like salvaging around the ruins of your old life, trying to search for the bits that can be collected, the bits that still have value and can lead to building into something new and, and useful. Um, my favorite part of it, Matt, is this wrinkle that when the windows are intact, it actually makes the salvaging job harder. Like a lot of Chastity's frustration early in this chapter comes from the fact that all these windows are still intact. And every time a window is intact, it makes the salvage more difficult. Um, It's harder to get out a window because you want to save the whole window, right? Like you don't want to break it. So it becomes more fragile the more whole it is. Um, And so I love this as an extension of that metaphor that like – when when you are trying to rebuild yourself, when you're trying to, to find out who you are and 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 salvage the wreckage that is you in your life, um, the little bits of you like not every part of you is broken. Right. And the little bits of you that are still whole are super fragile as you're trying to do this. And it actually makes it it makes it harder because you have to you have to be careful with those parts. You have to be really extra careful with those parts and take care of those parts. And that's really fucking hard. Um, and I just love that that little little wrinkle there. Yeah, and also the metaphor works on the level of, of like, man, this is a lot of work. Yeah. Like, yeah. wouldn't it be easier to just leave this right. and, and start over somewhere else, right? Like, that's what, that's kind of what they did before. They kind of just left Earthbed and started over somewhere else, mm-hmm. and, and it, it didn't really end up working. But now they're going back. They're doing the hard, dirty, kind, kind of thankless work of, um, of digging – digging out you know you have to painstakingly disassemble the window unit to get at the at the glass within Mm -hmm. um but it but you know at the end of the day you're surrounded by your friends who are all doing the same work with Mm -hmm. you and you get that belonging that you that you need yeah Um, and when when the bag gets too heavy someone comes down with you to help you carry it yeah um yeah it's wonderful it's just it's i i love it i love it so much yeah so after ruminating for a while and deciding that nobody truly loves or understands her, uh, 
even her hypercritical mind can't find any problems with Cassie. Oh my God. I love this so much, Matt. Like first we like the, 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 train of thought she takes to get to Cassie though is so interesting to me because we pass through Aunt Rachel arguably one of the most wonderful characters in both of these books who had a full arc's worth of growth and betterment in the last book and has only from there I think maybe quietly in the background but still there just gotten better and improved Chastity's internal narrative immediately dismisses this this beloved wonderful empathetic character that we all know and love Uh, then she moves on to candy her sister who she interestingly here dismisses not because of anything with candy but because of the guilt around her own resentment she feels for her for her and what i love like this is to me such like a a sibling based resentment that i think like i've felt for my siblings at one point like parents change over time and i'm not comparing my parents to heartbreaker please no but just like parent parenting styles change and i think at one point at any point in your life you like especially when you're younger looking at your siblings and like being resentful like oh my little sister has it so much easier because my parents are so much less strict now because it's the third kid that kind of thing you know yeah. like i feel like every kid has probably felt if you have siblings you probably felt that that kind of resentment of course chastity is is that turned up to a level 11 but um partially because of what rain's doing to her and, and and partially just because her dad was a fucking monster literal monster uh, yeah i just love that it, it passes through these two people um who i mean i think we like both these characters and we empathize with both these characters and her internal narrative says no fuck them um, <laughs> but then we land on cassie and those voices, even those rain enhanced voices just have nothing to say. And I think that's the perfect show. Don't tell way of getting you to immediately understand why chastity has this extremely close, wonderful friendship with Cassie that like, this is the person that even those shitty voices just don't have anything to say about. Um, yeah, it's wonderful. that's, that is, that is really great. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it's, I feel like I can even relate to that, even though, I mean, I, I, I think I've always had a unusually good sibling relationship, but, but I, I, I do. Yeah. I, do I, re- really... I resent it. I resent your sibling. relationship. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, I'm just I know. Kidding. I'm just kidding. But, but like the idea of having, the idea of having really good friends where even when you're really down, your mind is like, well, at least I've got them. Right. Sure. sure yeah. I think, I think that, I think that's something I can relate to. Definitely. Yeah. And I think that's part of what makes that friendship so special um that like like we we have known that cassie and chastity are really good friends and love each other um and are just incredibly close and we've understood that the story has told us that we've never really quite seen the why from chastity's perspective um and i think it's just a perfect way of just spelling that out for us in a very effective way yeah, and I I actually don't think that that friendships usually have like a concrete why to them anyway. Sure, I, sure. I usually think it's like I think these two people just get along, and wh- why I don't know like that. I, I don't I don't think you can reduce that down beyond just saying yeah they just do. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You know, just to to kind of riff on the idea of of this toxic voice. One one really toxic thing your mind will tell you in these times is like. Well, my family loves me, but my family has to love me because yeah. they're my family. Yeah. And but but like your friends are exempt from that. Your friends are like, well, they 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 really must like me for who I am because they don't have to like me. And I think that's one thing that maybe Cassie has over, you know, the people she's no longer or or her um her family. Mm-hmm. So. And as we'll see a little bit later, 
chastity lies kind of constantly. Um, the, she's basically putting a, a, a whole personality out there in public that is just not really the person she is at all. But we do see that Cassie is one of the few people in which even if she wants to lie, she can't bring herself to lie to her. Um, and yeah. I think that's an important part of their relationship as well. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, so yeah, so rain jumps down to help her and she, uh, as he does, she pays attention to his physical state notes, how her presence seems to make him feel good and how he physiologically reacts when she goes out of her way to show off her cleavage. Mm -hmm. and, and then she sort of tries to seduce him on the spot, but then it turns out that this is like a complicated, never ending teasing, testing thing that she does. And, uh, we only learn at this point that a lot of her thoughts and behavior have of course been influenced by rain's doubt power. Yeah. So first, I, I want to talk about the revelation of that test teasing thing. And I love it. It's so wonderfully awful, right? Because it makes such perfect, depressing sense. She's convinced herself that the only way people would ever be interested in her is sexually. And she has a power that annoyingly supports that point of view because like she can tell when people get aroused. She can feel it every time. She can feel it. Um, she can feel what's going on in their body. She knows what it is. And and. And she can feel them get interested and she can notice them notice her. It's awful. It's awful. Like it's the worst possible thing to have when you have these kind of feelings about yourself. Right. Yeah. Because a lot of that is just like biological shit being biological outside of your conscious control. Um, right. And yet it is still evidence to your worst possible fears about yourself. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's such a blessing that we have like deniability over our feelings <laughs> um, or, or that we can walk around and, 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 and not not know all of this stuff about what other people are feeling. Um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah definitely. It, it, it's funny because you're tempted to just brush it off as like, oh, yeah, that's that's kind of neat. But like think about how this would actually really impact all of your your daily interactions with like everyone. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's awful. It's awful. Yeah. Uh, and I love the writing here. She felt physically good getting that reaction, but her thoughts were mired in disappointment. Or she felt cold, lonely, just a little bit skeeved out that it was that easy on a purely physical reactionary level. And at the same time, her thoughts were warm, happy that she made his day better, a bit better, because she did like him. It was never both at once. And then, of course, her internal narrative comes in with it shouldn't be either. <laughs> it's just uh -huh. like it's just it's just awful. Like it's like. I feel so, so bad for her. This is terrible. Um, yeah. And this is like, this is the darkness, right? This is this chapter, this epilogue chapter that's going to end on warmth and hope and, uh, and a bright future right now is just like, oh my God, this poor girl, this is awful. Like, how are you ever going to get over this? And, and uh, uh, uh -huh. it's just yeah. it's so well done. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Um, and so I, I want to talk to you about like the rain's aura bit and like how it was done structurally but before we do that I, I i want to also take a moment to see rain through chastity's eyes here because this is something we get to see and we, we've talked many times about how people view rain and, and versus how rain views himself and I, I like i just love her description here like i just love seeing rain through chastity's eyes here i think it's really powerful she could sense the totality of him proportions like how he'd put on muscle but lost weight to the point that he was rangy she knew he worked 
the jobs where people got extra servings because they needed the extra servings. But he ate like someone on rations, that he was tired, in part as a consequence of diet, in part because he worked harder than many of the other people out there. His nose had been broken once and hadn't healed quite right. And with the light shining in through the holes where the windows had been now open to the elements and letting the chill wind through, she could see spots on his face where there were fault faint lines, the faintest of scars. He hadn't cut his hair in the last few weeks, and she kind of liked it better like this, medium length, instead of being so short that nothing could be done with it. So, I mean, I just love this image of, of Rain as this guy who's like put on muscle, lost weight. He's kind of starving himself and working his ass off because that's just who he is. Um, he, he's got that faint line of scars. And most importantly, Matt, the hair. Most importantly, the hair, because the hair was a big thing for Rain, and in in defiance of Mama Mathers, he cut it all off, um, which was this great, wonderful moment for him. We loved it. But here now, he's kind of struck a balance. It's it's medium length. It's in the yeah. middle, right? Yeah, it, it's become less important that he adhere to this idea of rejecting the fallen. It, it's just, eh, yeah, yeah, it's just it's my just hair. My hair. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and, it, and you, you almost wonder if he's even thought about it at all. Maybe he's just kind of it's not it's not important to him, which yeah. is which is saying something in and of itself. Yeah, I mean, I don't think like I understand that like the world has been ending and <laughs> there's been shit going on. So haircuts are pretty low on the priority list, but it's not like he couldn't have got cut it if he wanted to. So it, it clearly if it is important to him. It is much less it's much further down on the priority list than I think it was at an earlier point in the story. Yeah, I think so. OK. So let's talk about structure a little bit here, because we learn in this moment that part of the reason why Chastity's internal dialogue has been so fucking brutal and terrible is that she's been under the effect of Rain's aura the whole time, using that learn through failure technique that Victoria discovered and kind of perfected back earlier in the story. Um, and as we said earlier, that makes a lot of sense. But the question we have to ask ourselves here, and these are the questions I love asking, Matt, this is my favorite part of the show, is we're like, okay, this, this, the story did something structurally. Why did it do it this way? Uh -huh. So why, why structure it like this? Why have us go on thinking for a good part of the chapter that this is just how chastity always thinks before revealing that it's actually partially coming from an outside source. And to me, I think this is a structural choice that allows these moments of internal narrative to land harder and sharper than they would have. Otherwise we hear them first and we think to ourselves, this is just her life. This is just what her life sounds like. This is just what she goes through every day. This is what is this is what is going on in her, her head every day. This is always how she thinks. And then after that, after we've internalized that, after we've understood that and read that and taken that in, we learn that they're being a little bit uh, made artificially louder, artificially sharper than they would have normally been because of Rain's aura. Um, I think if the chapter starts with Chastity saying oh, Rain's aura was really starting to wear on her, then every internal thought that she has is colored by that external source. And and not that you would dismiss them, because I don't think we ever could, because the most important thing about Rain's aura is it doesn't create feelings. It just amplifies them. But not that we would dismiss them, but we would partially be thinking the whole time, oh, well, this is just what Rain's doing to her. And I think just organizing it in that way, I think, is so important and so effective. Yeah. Right. I think I think it also allows us to very rapidly get into the headspace of this character because you you see, OK, these are all of the elements that are in play in Chastity's mind. Mm -hmm. They're not actually this loud all the time, but they are all there. Yeah. Yeah. 
So if she were just going through her day normally, you might not you might not see these. Like if you, if you're writing her her internal narration, this is the kind of mental chatter where you can literally it can just be happening all the time and you don't really consciously notice it. Like, like mm-hmm. this is why people meditate is it actually tunes you into the ability to be like, Oh, I'm, I'm talking shit to myself all day, all the time. I didn't know I was doing that, you know? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Um, but, but actually having it turned up to a volume where you are forced to notice it then forces you to confront it. I think that's, that's probably my favorite kind of framing kind of element of the chapter is this idea that, um, she wants she wants to be under Rain's aura. She she's not the one who's asking to get out of it. She wants to use it. And by the end of the chapter, she's sort of having been confronted with how nasty her her mind is to her, she is basically like, Yeah, I, I need to I need to get a handle on this shit. I need yeah. I need to be okay with me before I do anything else. And I don't know if that's something she would have done before she subjected herself to Rain's power like this. Yeah, no, I think that's uh, totally fair for sure. I, I like that a lot. Um, and I think that also, I think it also sh- sh- to me, it shows that rain's aura served its purpose there, but I also really like that rain like puts his foot down and trusts his instincts and says, I'm not doing that to you again for a year. Like she would be like, no, no, come on more, 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 more. And he's just like, no, like I no. I think that shows the, the value they have for each other. Like the, the, how these two people are actually through their friendship, through whatever this prelude is, is going to help make them better people. Um, yeah, I, I think that's a really great way of establishing the ways in which they strengthen each other. Yeah. I mean, he, he definitely is able to just say no to that. He, he's able mm-hmm. to kind of shrug off, not completely shrug off, but in a relative sense, shrug off her, her kind of testing and teasing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, it, like she can tell that it makes him on edge, but, but he's just like he just kind of accepts this as, um, um, you know. I, I think we talked last week about the idea that like Tattletale is just somebody where you're going to have to accept that she's going to be awful to you sometimes, right? Um, in order to be her friend. And I think Rain just kind of accepts that Chastity is going to be doing this kind of thing to him if he wants to be her friend. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I, I think it's so fascinating because he both fails and passes it in that he like fails it biologically, but. Yeah, he's never been like, all right, let's do it. Let's hop in bed. Like, he's never done that. Like, he continually sees value in her, and all he does to her advances is just, like, goofily uh, change the subject or (laughs) or Uh get awkward and kind of get silent and weird. So, like, I I, I don't know. Like, I just think it, like, works as, like, this is is the exact kind of person that she needs to be around. Yeah. Um, and, and not romantically yet. I think I totally agree. We're going to talk about that when we get to that, to that, but just being around each other, I think is making them better. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. Um, I also love, you know, we talked about like how the structure didn't let us see that rain was the one causing these, these feelings. But I love that the second it is established that this is coming from an external source source, that it is coming from rain. The book doubles down and, and is like, Okay, but yeah, these thoughts are still there. Like it, the, one of the first thing the book does when Rain turns his aura off is have this passage that says they'll all leave you the moment you start depending on them or stop being useful. And then we see the thought crossed her mind less sharp than it had been when she'd felt Rain's power. So as if the book is to say, okay, yes, this was external, but reminder, he's not creating these feelings in her. This is not what this thing does. They're here. They're these are here, and I think it just wants to be very clear and get that across that. 
this is this is this is chastity still like this is this is her and i love that it does that i think it's really important to to make sure that beat lands and make sure that's as clear as possible yeah yeah absolutely it's just such a great element to have in the story i mean we we saw a similar you know it, it was basically the same thing with victoria but it was also not the same thing because victoria's awful voice is not the same as chastity's awful voice uh-huh. but it gives us this ability to to, to is what books do is it gives us the ability to notice that we each have our own individual awful voice that is quietly criticizing and 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 you know pushing us around to a greater or lesser extent depending on kind of how we're doing but but this is one of those things where where you know books are empathy machines that connect you to this idea of oh yeah everyone everyone is like this everyone has this element of, yeah. of reality to them yeah definitely cool um so the trio uh rain cassie and chastity they bring their hall into a depot uh we get more of a sense of how the city is doing there are still problems there are still dangers but as chastity thinks to herself but it was okay yeah yeah so for first i just want to talk like the first time we see cassie in this chapter like she looks at chastity and is like up oh, something's wrong and she just knows like immediately, like they don't even talk to each other. She knows something's wrong immediately. They also wordlessly communicate to each other that this is no, this has nothing to do with rain. It's not that. And and this is the part where Chastity almost lies to her what she about what she needs and almost being the key word there. She wants to, but she doesn't. Um, and, and I love I love reconfirming Chastity as this, this important purpose, person in her life. Um, yeah. But anyway, the world, the world. Let's talk about the world. There's some big revelations here, Matt. Um, that we, we learned that the machine army is back to being a problem. Um, Saint's solution was temporary, proving uh-huh. once and for all that Saint isn't, uh, is not a threat at all. Uh-huh. Just, just kind of incompetent. I mean, let's give him props for like being key at the right moment. Like he helped save the world, but you suck Saint. See, see, I, I, I didn't get the impression that he was like the hero and it saved them, but I got the impression that that like the machine army was kind of at a standstill instead of being like this rampaging uh, onslaught. Yeah, I mean, I, they probably hope were hoping that his solution was a little bit more permanent, but it says here that they've adapted, so which is yeah. not surprising. That's kind of what their thing is, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think the big thing that you hinted at earlier in the episode was that what the plan is. The plan, it seemed, was that Gimmel would belong to the Capes and to the people closest to the Capes. The refugees would settle just past the portals in corner worlds that would become central hubs and settlements. So let's talk about this for a bit. I think this is interesting because we talked, I think it was a couple weeks ago, about this idea that do we think that they're just going to like just move on to the next place and build a new city and just be like, well, <laughs> let's try it. Third time's a charm. Let's like, and it doesn't, it seems specifically that that is not what they're doing. Um, we, yeah. we already talked about the, this, the salvaging is, is, is a good example of that as well, that they're not just going to try to wipe the slate and, and try again and everything be fine, but they are kind of doing this. It's not like segregation necessarily, but like basic, I, I guess it's just like humans. If you don't want to deal with us, we're giving you a choice this time. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah, right. Like, like it, it, it doesn't explicitly say, for example, that like capes are not welcome elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And, and that, it would be kind of rough if that were the case. It would mean that like if you trigger uh, in one of the other worlds, then yeah. they're going to kick you out and send you to Gimel, which is still not yeah. a great place. So right, I, I kind of hope that's not the case. Um, 
I, and I don't think I don't think it's meant to be taken in that negative direction. I think it's more like, yeah, this is the the symbol of the capes staying behind to to deal with the mess and and not just moving on and carrying the mess with them to the next thing. Yeah, yeah. Um and and yeah, I think I think it just works perfectly on on the metaphorical level that the world ended one time there was a there was a trauma, there was a a collective trauma and everyone just wanted to get to a place where they could forget about it as, mm-hmm. as quickly as they could. And this is the capes not saying let's forget about it. This is the capes saying, "All right, well, we're not going to abandon this this trauma that happened the second time. We're we're going to stay behind. We're going to we're going to do what we can to fix it. Um and we may never we, we we will actually never be able to fix it. We'll never be able to put it back the way it was in, into the the golden mega city. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, but, the, cool, yeah. the cool thing about that is like the, the fact that the cracks are still there. It's not like we killed the Titans and then the cracks magically like formed whole again. And there are no giant it cracks to another dimension in, yeah. in the city. Like they're still there. So yeah, I mean, it's literally like these things, these are wounds that are not going to heal. They will uh-huh. always be there, but that doesn't mean you can't like build a bridge over them. Right. And you know, one thing that I thought was, I don't know if this is intentional or not, but it was funny to me anyway. And and we're skipping ahead a bit, uh, quite a bit actually. But the idea of there being these threatening but not overwhelmingly deadly machine army infestations that the capes have to root out was like, oh, so there's so there's like foot soldiers. Mm-hmm. There, there there's there's non sentient combatants for the capes to to get their conflict urges out on <laughs> um, that are just kind of always there. And it's it's like a perfect it's like a perfect unintentional solution to the well capes capes got to fight they got to use their power sometimes um, yeah just go fight the just go fight the putties yeah so what you're saying is the machine army is good yeah I can't believe you just made a Power Rangers reference can we go back to that go fight the putties the, the putties the, how the, many people listening know what that means see uh, see when I said foot soldiers I know that you understood I was talking about the Foot Clan well yeah of course. But and then I, I assume everyone knows about Power Rangers because everyone is exactly my age and watch the same shows I did on TV. I don't think that's a, a thing that's true. Are you sure? Pretty sure. Well, anyway, yeah, the putties, I, I can't believe I'm explaining this. The putties were like the disposable, uh, n- worthless soldiers in Power Rangers. Remember when uh, Lord Zed joined the show and then he got new improved putties? I do. That you have to, you had to punch in the Z? You couldn't just kill him normally. You had to punch him in the Z. That was really that was really dramatic. It was fucking game changing. I, I kind of miss when everyone was watching the same things at the same time. <laughs> I remember after an episode of Power Rangers <laughs> where the three characters leave the show uh-huh. and they their identities were revealed to some of the new characters that were going to take their place. And you could tell because they were wearing the colors that they were going to end up being. Uh-huh. Um, my friend called me on the phone and was like, Oh man, Zordon's gonna be so pissed. I don't know why I have that memory in my head specifically, <laughs> but I do, and it's wonderful. <laughs> uh, this has been uh, the '90s. They yeah. were crazy with Scott and Matt. Let's move on. <laughs> my kids like Power Rangers now, which is weird. Anyway, um, yeah. So they go back to Aunt Rachel's compound, and Chastity makes herself presentable. But she notices that Rain is outside talking to some lawyer type accompanied by armed patrol members. The good guys have come to put Rain back in jail. <sighs> God damn it. Our boy never gets a break. <laughs> he really doesn't, does he? And yeah, 
I love that rain that chastity immediately see that sees that rain wants this, right? Like that, like there's this line, he looked happy or maybe that was the wrong word relieved. Like a weight had been lifted. He looked a year younger. Almost. He wanted this. It weighed on him all the time. And now he wanted to go to jail to atone. And like, uh, like rain did a bad thing. Like, I don't want to dismiss the thing, bad thing he did, but like, at some point, this incessant need to punish yourself to prove that you're working towards becoming a better person is like, rain, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Come on. Like, you're doing every like you're working your ass off. Like, it's commendable. I love it. But I think later in the chapter, I think it's Lily that says, like, prison isn't going to make him a better person. And that's like exactly how I feel. It's just like at some point, like what is actually just throwing him in jail doing Um yeah, I love it. I love well, I love I, like I love that. I'm just like just like I love Rain's one of my favorite characters. And I love that there are moments where I can still just get exasperated with him and go like, come on, buddy. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the, the best part of this is that he's totally willing to go along with it. He's not putting up any he's not even arguing against it. He's, yeah, he's, yeah. he's, he's re- relieved, as, as Chastity says. And it's his friends. It's the people who care about him who who have to be like, nah, man, like, like, right. look, like this isn't what's best for you. This isn't fair. This isn't just. And they step in for him and, and then he accepts it because they're, they're right and he knows yeah, they're right. Yeah. Um, and so he's able to accept it. But but he's not going to argue on his own behalf because that would kind of defeat the whole purpose of this like re- this um, redemption that he's that he's yeah. trying for that he's reaching for. Yeah. I mean, one of the big recurring points in these epilogues is we're taking our main characters, our, our main cast and we are seeing them through the point of view of people uh, of their community, of their help, uh, of of part of the people that that keep that push them up and 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 push them forward and make them better. And we're allowing <laughs> we're allowing uh, those people to do that job. Like we're seeing specifically the ways in which, even here at the end of the story, the ways in which the people around you, the people you surround yourself with, continue to help you get better um i i I love it i I, like it's Mm. just it's just so it's just so like we could have done these interlude chapters through the points of view of our breakthrough characters like we totally could have done that that could have been the way this went but instead we're getting to see them through the people that are important to them uh, and and that make them better um and it's just it's just such a it's just a wonderful choice and it allows us to see both the ways that relationship is reciprocal and and I just I love the idea. I really do. Yeah, uh, me too. It makes me excited because I feel like we're probably going to continue this. We're probably going to get, you know, maybe a Vista interlude, maybe a uh, um, actually how many characters do we have left? We Not have many. we have Kenzie, we have Byron yeah, okay. and we have Chris possibly. Oh, uh, yeah, um, we're definitely going to get a Chris and N- Natalie possibly. Uh, <laughs> uh, Natalie gets left out. <laughs> snub of the snub of the century yeah yeah. Um, yeah i'm in a bold prediction here if if natalie gets a point of view chapter i think it's going to be from carol's perspective that's my that's my guess that'd be fun yeah, yeah i'd like that I, I do think we're going to get a chris i think the chris one might even be the last one you know mm-hmm. and then it's debatable whether so what's funny is the first the, the chevalier chapter you, sort you of was victoria. A victoria one yeah well, it was it was sort of it was it's almost like a window into how Tattletale is doing, too. Sure. sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, that's what all, all these are are like it's we're seeing multiple characters here. True. Like this one has the Lily and, and, and Perry or the yeah, the Lily yeah. 
and and Parian like yeah conclusion as well. True. So we're we're wrapping up multiple characters throughout these perspectives, but the, I think there is always um, a point of view character, a breakthrough character, and the ways in which those characters have assisted each other. Um, Absolutely. Yep. So uh, Chastity agonizes over whether to step in and stop the uh, the soldiers from taking rain, but it's actually Rachel who barges past to try to interfere, like you said, followed closely by Saba and Lily. Rachel is pissed that Rain won't be able to build her greenhouse. I'm sure she has no, you know, personal affection for Rain at all. No, it's just it's just purely functional. That's yep. just the good old Rachel. Yep. Between her and uh, more helpfully Flachette, they argue that Rain should be allowed to work off a sentence through community service with oversight from the wardens. Uh, since she and Saba are going to have to go, they're going to have a go at being heroes too. And also Roman is coming along as well. Yeah, yeah. What what a scene, Matt. Like, I, you just kind of talked over the whole thing, but like each and every moment in this part is just so satisfying, right? Yeah. Like from the very beginning, from the, the very beginning, like Chastity sees all this and she's frantically, she's frantically trying to think of what she can do here. You can hook him in, give him your virginity, play on his natural heroism. Um, I think that's such a, a powerful statement there because first of all, like it really cements the fact that the, everything physical that she's been displaying is purely bullshit, right? Like uh-huh. give him your, like chastity is, is chased like yeah. literally like, so it, it's all, it's all been an act. It's all been like, we already kind of knew this from earlier in the chapter, but it's all been a test. Like she's never actually done anything. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think that's su- such a powerful thing to reveal here. I, I love it so much. Yeah. But then like, Rachel going to support rain is just wonderful. Well, first she, she comforts chastity. Like this moment, a hand settled on chastity's head and she flinched her hair, which she just gotten right. It was aunt Rachel because of course it was. Um, and, and showing, I mean, Rachel here in her way, like shows that she's fully aware of what chastity is going through watching this thing happen. Right. Like resting her ha- hand on, on chastity's head is basically like a Rachel nuzzle to be right. like, Hey, it's going to be okay. I yeah. got this. She she sees that that Chastity's, you know, ears are down and, and mm-hmm. her tails between her legs yeah, and she's yeah. just giving her a little comfort. Yeah, yeah. Um love it. No, I, that you know what's funny is I don't know if I parsed that that way, but now that you pointed out that's absolutely what like why else would Rachel be putting her hand on somebody's head? Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Yeah. Um and, and yeah, like her her thinking this way about rain really shows you how almost i think you said frantic how, how frantic how desperate she is yeah, yeah to 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 stop this from happening like she she's almost been in denial about how important rain is to her until this moment when she's she, she risks losing him mm-hmm. yeah no totally agree totally yeah. agree uh but but then we get to the the actual argument with the lawyer here like basically like he can't be free even if he stays free like he's hanging these are these are villains these are villains he can't be with villains he's got to hang out with heroes and it's just this kind of very I like one of the things that I actually appreciate about this. We talked last week, I think it was about what is the the status quo in the world going to look like going forward. And one of the things we're seeing here is that the status quo appears to be looking pretty status quo, uh-huh. right? Like, like it's clear that there's still going to be heroes and, and villains. There's still going to be this dichotomy. There's still going to be masks and costumes. There's still going to be Cape names. This thing is still going to happen. Um, but I, one of the things that I think like at the end of two books, I look at this cl- clarification, I look at this classification by the lawyer of like, Oh no, he can't stay free because they're villains here. And I'm just like, come on, <laughs> like, like, come on, come on. Yeah. Um, 
and and like I mean, I think one of the things that that this chapter really cements is is just that classification is so arbitrary that to change it, you literally just have to be like, okay, I think I'm going to try to be a hero now. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm a hero. Yeah, yeah. And then that's really it. Like, like Lily and Perrion are like, okay, I think I'm going to try to be a hero now. Um, and then a little bit later, Chastity's like, yeah, yeah, me too. I'm going to, and Roman as well. Like, like it, it, I think it's one of the, the things that I will credit most to the, this book in my experience is just like, like getting out of this black and white dichotomy of hero and villain, um, uh-huh. across both of those books. That's one thing that has just been completely ripped apart, I think yeah. really effectively. And, and I, I love that. Like, of course, like the system is the system, right? Like we're not, I, I think maybe we got a little too excited at the, the hopefulness of the future to think that like, Oh my God, the system is going to be like so totally overhauled and it's going to be like perfect now. And everything's going to be great because they've overhauled. And it's like, no, like status quo is status quo. And, and that's kind of just something that's going to happen, but people can operate outside of that or, or within its means, but with their own agency still. Um, and yeah. I think that's kind of what we're seeing here. Yeah, and the meanings of labels can change over time too. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I think it's perfect that they, the you know, the man kind of accuses Rachel of being a villain, and, and she's just like, I've just, I've only ever done what was necessary, nothing yeah. more, nothing less. And, right. and yeah. that's a that's that's great because like Rachel's never identified as a villain. She's never been like, I'm I'm a villain. I'm a badass. She's right. she just she's just been doing what she thought she needed to do at, mm-hmm. at every point in both Worm and Ward, and that put her at odds with the law because of her personality and the things that she wants and, and so on and so forth. But like, especially in the post apocalypse, other than like supporting the undersiders, I don't like, like she doesn't, she's just trying to build a, a a little, a little stable pocket of, of peace and and harmony, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, one of the things we see is that because of its location and the way the world is resettling, her little tiny corner of the world is about to become one of the most important, parts of of uh-huh. civilization um yeah. which i think is hilarious because like you know a part of rachel's like ah, fuck yeah. <laughs> like all these all these fucking people around um i think she's much better with that now of course but um i think she like she's become one of the most important people to the survival of humanity because they're uh-huh. going to be relying on the the system and the living space and the the civilization that she already had established at this ranch yeah Um, the humanity is relying on this now so it's just so funny that like they're gonna look at her and be like but you're a villain and it's like okay Uh i mean come on like come on right yeah just i'm just working outside of your laws human yeah 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 um it's it's awesome but let's talk about uh, foil and, and Perry in here though, because yeah. they have kind of quietly in the background completed their arc as well. And, and it's, it's really satisfying to me in a way. Um, I, Saba says here for too long, I've pulled Lily after me to dark places. Even I hated going. I think that's what scared her more than anything. I was never making compromises to stick. I was making compromises to stay connected to the undersiders and help support new Brockton. And I think it's time Lily do what she needs to do. I'll support her. I think that's really wonderful. Um, I, you know, I think there there are moments in relationships where like one person needs to make a choice that is maybe a little more selfish, right? Like where like you you need to go in one direction more, and and the other partner has to like kind of compromise a little bit more. Um, and then, but if that continues on too long, 
then resentment builds and this recognition in in Saba that, hey, we've done my thing for a long time. Let's let's try your thing for a while. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that's like it feels really real to me. It feels like it, it feels hopeful. It feels um, like I, I just I just like look at that. I look at what you said there and I see understanding. I see communication. I see realization. Um, and I, I see a successful relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Um, I think, you know, the, the, the relationship was tested. It was pushed farther than either of them were really comfortable with. And it was, and, and it went in that direction, I think, because they had, they had just gone along with things as they were for mm-hmm. too long. Like Lily had gone along with Saba. Saba had not recognized that she was asking too much of Lily and you know, we, we were worried about them for a while. I think I said something like sometimes relationships should just end. Yeah. Like, like it's, it's, it's not the worst thing that could happen if, if two people realize that they're not really um, getting along anymore. But I I think that that wasn't really what was happening. I think that basically just like we're seeing here, they, there, there was not, there was not balance. Um, And, and I think a lot, a lot of Lily's needs were not being met and now they're, now they're going to be, they're going to be better. And I think it's probably better for both of them to go back to being heroes. I don't think either of them were enjoying being villains at all. I think it was miserable for them. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, uh, Parian had things she felt like she owed people. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I think there's always like, especially, I don't want to overgeneralize because it literally every relationship is different, but I think there are moments in relationships, especially when they're new relationships where you're like really excited by the person and you just want to be around the person. And so you'll do whatever the person wants to do, even if it's not necessarily what you want to do all the time. And I think that eventually fades away. (laughs) And, and if you don't, if you don't settle back into some sort of equilibrium, like that can be bad. Um, and, and, and like I said, like there's always moments where one person is going to have to like, if if a person's pers- if if you're in a long term relationship with someone and and you're pursuing a career like an opportunity comes up that you just need to take that it might not be totally fair to the other person sometimes you you have to do a little give and take there uh-huh. um, and that's what I'm seeing in this relationship yeah I'm I'm super hopeful for it yeah me too I am I am now yeah mm-hmm. yeah um so yeah a bit later um, after they've kind of had some time to process all this Cassie finally gives chastity the literal push that she needs to go talk to rain. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love it. Just Cassie, just once again, being the, the exact person that Chastity needs in this moment. It's really yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, rain is packing up to leave at this point. Right. So this is like final moments, like this is running to the airport to chase after him um, yeah. <laughs> type of moment here in the rain. Yeah. Yeah. And I love, I love this quote here. How can I ask him to like Chastity Vassal if I can't bring myself to do the same? Um, which is a really powerful quote. And I love that she's came to that realization, but Cassie's response I think is equally powerful too, which is just like, I don't know, man, like I can't answer that question for you, but like sitting here isn't going to do it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, The only way you can figure that out is if you go talk to him. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. This is great friend, uh, friend energy here. Yeah. Yeah. Like I don't have all the answers for you, but I know like this isn't it. Yeah. 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 That's what a clever thing to say, Chastity. Now get the fuck over there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I love like the text here as, as she's walking up to rain, she's like wearing heeled boots, probably like the muddy footprints of aunt Rachel's camp sucked at Chastity's boots, which really weren't for this climate or environment. Her whip banged at her hip all coiled up. Like I love 
it's like accentuating the awkwardness of her walk up there as if to accentuate like the tension and nervousness of the situation she's about to put herself in. She's like very, very, very nervous about this thing. And like the mud is sucking at her trying to pull her down. Like her whip, like the, the reminder of this other side of her is banging against her hip. Like I just, I really love the the touches in there. I love the the language all coiled up because Mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, of course the whip is coiled up. We know, we've seen Indiana Jones. We know how you carry a whip, but, but, but using the language there is like, Oh, like, like it's, it's carrying the connotation of all coiled up into her, her whole being right here. Yeah. She's all coiled up. Right. She feels all coiled up. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. So uh, she, she tells him that she wants to come with him and, and maybe try to be a hero as well. Or I don't know if that's subtextual or if that's textual. I, anyway, um, he tells her that he wants her to come, but that they'll need to be friends for a long time, for over a year and a half before they can be anything else. They'll be boning down within six weeks. <laughs> I mean, I know you're you're partially joking here, but I don't know, man. Like, here, here's what I think. I don't think it's important that this prelude of Reigns lasts the full time. Like, I don't think I don't think it must be a year and a half or longer before their relationship becomes something else i don't think that is necessarily the important part of it i do think that it is important that they try it though i think they both have come to the realization that they are not in a place for something romantic or physical or anything they are two people that don't like themselves and i think part of rain still doesn't like himself right i think that's why he pushes himself that's so hard i think that's why he wants to be punished by the system so much he he has similar although not the same feelings about himself that chastity does and they got to figure that shit out yeah they they really do before they if they want if they want to get in something that is actually healthy and and helps them permanently romantically like they got to figure that shit out first Um, yeah the thing about rain is really interesting because um at at this point it's kind of noble and admirable that, that that he wants to atone but like when he let's say that let's say it's a year and a half later he's he's done all of this atoning mm-hmm. is is he gonna be like ah all done all done with that yeah i'm i no longer i no longer will think of myself that way anymore like no that's that's not how people work if anything he will have practiced thinking about himself as being a person who needs to atone for like half of his life well, not literally but for for years um like he needs to work on you know acceptance literally like like yeah. accept accepting himself and accepting that maybe some some parts of this are never going to stop making him feel bad and guilty yeah uh, atoning for it is not a magic panacea that's going to just make him be like ah, good I, I have atoned now i don't have that voice in my head anymore so yeah he, he it, it's it's like it's a neglected thing i don't think we've talked about it much but the idea that like yes it's it's good of him to seek penance i, I do think it's noble but also um, I'm not sure if it's going to work the way he imagines it will. And I think yeah. he's going to have to deal with a lot of stuff even outside of that. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And I think that's what I was trying to get to with with kind of my exasperated sigh at him, yeah. like being like, oh, yes, lawyer, please take me take me back to jail. That'll solve all my problems. Right. It's just like, yeah, I mean, there's going to be no there's going to be no switch that's going to get flipped to just be like, oh, great. I don't feel guilty anymore. Like that's he's going to carry that guilt with him for the rest of his life. Like it sucks, but he will. And and maybe he'll get to a point where it's quieter and, and not all, as all as all consuming. Um, but it will be with him. I think that's the same shit we saw Victoria go through. where like the trauma that Victoria carries 
it did not go away. Like it's still there. She just, I love like, I think one of my favorite parts about this book in retrospect is how Victoria described her moment of acceptance. Like that, that visualization of those things were still there, but they were there where they belonged. They were not invading every other part. They were in their place in my mind not anywhere else. I don't remember the exact words. I need to go pull that quote because I, I love it so much. But yeah. I think that is such a powerful image. And I think that's exactly kind of what Rain has to do, where that guilt you feel is always going to be there, but it needs to just be there and not everywhere to yeah. the point where you're constantly trying to chase down the penance for it. Yeah. And that is one thing that may, maybe when he does, when he does get through his year and a half of, of service, he will be able to say, to himself, you know, with a straight face. All right, I've 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 done that. Yeah. You you stay in that box over there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna get on with my life now. Yeah, yeah. I hope so. I really do. I really and I I, I think chastity can help him with that, just yeah. like I think he can help chastity with her stuff. Um, because I love this this moment, Matt, where Rain compliments chastity, where just like slings this this train of compliments at her. I love them because none of them are physical features, right? Like you have qualities. I wish I could have myself. You're stylish. You're loyal. You're brave. You're fierce when you need to be. You pick things up fast, even without my power helping. And you pick really cool things to pick up like the whip. Like none of this is like, oh, you're pretty. I love your eyes. Like rock and bod. Like none of it is. (laughs) None of it is the physical kind of stuff that I think she would expect a dude or anyone really to, to be interested in. Uh Um, and I think that's so important that, that oh, yeah. like that he and he's not like he's just this is just who he is. And that, that like he probably wasn't even thinking about any of the physical features like he just and, he, and of course he's attracted to her. Like that's that's very obvious. You can tell since the first moment they <laughs> met that he's attracted to her. But the things he loves or likes the most about her are are nothing to do with the way she looks, nothing to do with where she where she puts her boobs or how low cut of a shirt she's wearing or any of these things. Um, and that's exactly what she needs to hear. And yeah. Yeah, it makes me so happy. Right. And, you know, it's genuine because, you know, that he was just about to walk away. You know, yeah. he, he was yeah. about to leave and, and really with no real hope of of seeing her again frankly so yeah yeah he's not trying to win her over here um i mean she's already offered herself multiple times like that's that's not yeah there's no ulterior motive here yep yeah it's great and i love that like even even after all this nice stuff like just as an example of of yes chastity is doing well but she still has so far to go she gets all these compliments and the first thing she does after this is fall back on old old habits and like going back to testing Ray, rain titillating him with that idea of, of her and cassie naked and like oh we sleep naked don't you know like she just falls right back she gets uncomfortable she gets nervous and she falls back into that old habit and it's a perfect way to like really just show that yeah, she's coming to this realization, and she was brave enough to to be honest with him and tell the way she feels and tell how complicated this is. But she's got she's got a way to go. Yeah, yeah, I think that's realistic, right? It, mm-hmm. it, it, like like she she does it, but it's it's like perfunctory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah so the chapter ends with her feeling excitement, warmth, and hope for the future. Uh, uh, the the last line of the chapter: the rest of the winter wouldn't be easy, but it would be warm. God, I love that. I love that so much. I love this chapter, Matt. I love this chapter so much. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because Chastity was, I mean, she, she's just not a character who I paid a lot of attention to, I guess. No, I never, I never really cared about her. Like, I mean, she's interesting, but like, I don't think I voted her at all during March's madness. Like, I was just like, yeah, that's, that's Chastity. Yeah. The story, the story was clearly keeping her as an important background character. Mm -hmm. Um, but there, I, I mean, frankly, there's so many different heartbroken characters that, it's not that they blended together because I actually didn't have any trouble keeping them distinct. It was just that they can only take up so much space in your brain. Sure, sure. <laughs> um, sure. But, but you know, after this interlude, I think she's fantastic. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to 20. Epilogue 3. 20.e3. <laughs> 20. Epilogue 3. 20.electronic entertainment expo. Yes. Which is canceled yes. this year. Yeah, just like everything else. Yes. So Kurt and Jacob have a moment of solidarity as Jacob recovers from a recent beating and humiliation by King. I love how this chapter begins in a way that could very well be happening in the present. It's mm-hmm. it's just there's so few of us now and still so many humans, Jacob said. And, and you know, it's funny because it, it took me a, min- a minute to remember who Jacob was and to kind of orient to what, what we were doing here. Um, it's yeah. Great. Yeah, me too. I mean, that was a name we haven't heard in a long, long time. Right. So. It was not one that was fresh on my brain where I immediately read Jacob and said, that's Jack. Like, I I didn't know we were doing here for a long time. I mean, it it takes really all the way through the opening of the chapter before you realize that this is not like you're not into the dream world. This is not uh, five's dream vision. This is just a good old fashioned flashback. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and I think it's really interesting the way that the structure kind of plays with that. And, and once again, Matt, we have this really dark, dark opening. We find out in a little bit that this is basically the night that King said, okay, we're going to come out as our group. We're going to declare capes, our monsters actually. And this is how we're going to prove it by just brutally, brutally torturing and murdering people. Um, and it's just this, this horrific act. And we just like, we just came off a chapter where the character's like, it's going to be warm. And then it's like, yeah, but also I'm going to torture people. And uh-huh. you're just like, the, the whiplash is like, Jesus, I, I really like some of the worst things that humanity has to offer are standing around talking about how excellently bad they're going to be in the opening of this chapter. And it's just like, it's just like, whoa, whoa. Yeah, right. It definitely, I mean, it is, it is funny and, and, and fun to juxtapose sort of, the 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 extremes of the para the parahuman story where on the one hand we can have like catharsis and belonging and found family and um and self acceptance and mm-hmm. then bam slaughterhouse nine <laughs> uh uh you know ultra violence and and uh sort of relishing in the the horribleness of the situation mm-hmm. um yeah uh yeah so so Kurt you know we find and we remember this too actually mm-hmm. from from uh, number of man's interlude in worm that Kurt was always this moderating force for Jacob. Uh, and I think maybe this even explains how Jacob went in the direction he did after Kurt left. Uh, it, it's, sure. it's kind of, it's kind of like sweet actually. Cause like Kurt offers Jacob a handkerchief for his bloody nose. Um, of course, Kurt carries handkerchiefs. Um, <laughs> and we get this wonderful passage. Jacob didn't move. He'd rather keep bleeding by his own choice than be pushed to stop it. In more than one way, he stood on the edge, his eyes wild, madness-inducing years of isolation mixed with pain having stripped away something essential, which was something Kurt understood well. The difference was that the pieces that had fallen away over the years were entirely different. Between the two of them, they maybe added up to one person together. <laughs> I just thought that was 
fantastic. It's really great. And and I mean, Kurt's friendship with Jacob ends up being kind of the cornerstone of the chapter, right? Like, yeah, th- there's a reason why we're seeing this flashback in particular. We're defining this quote unquote friendship um, as as the prelude to to Jeff, the nice number boys epilogue chapter to his the conclusion of his story, because this is to him like the only friendship he ever had. And yeah. when, when he's, when this clone of this man is looking for something to do and, and who to be and what to, what life is now, this is the thing he's thinking about. Um, yeah. And, and it's, it's going it, to, it's going to matter. Right. And, and this is basically a recent memory for him essentially. So. Yeah. Yeah. I love this friendship with Jacob. Technically the longest friendship Kurt had ever had was like being friends with a rabid dog. Any periods of convalescence or calm were pre- a prelude to a lashing out. Like, it, the longest friendship you've ever had is this, this thing that basically completes him as a human being is is just terrible and unhealthy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and we know that Jack is you know a terrible monster. And, yes, yes. Uh, he he may have gotten something out of his relationship with Kurt, but I don't think it was anything particularly uh, admirable. Um, yeah. Or, yeah. Or or or. Like like Kurt says here, the, the the parts of him that would have actually been capable of real friendship have probably stripped, been stripped away by oh, yeah. his experiences. Yeah, yeah. So we gradually learn that the two of them have to talk very carefully because Screamer is loyal to King and she's always listening to everything. We see that the two of them desperately want out from under King's thumb, but his powers and the loyalty of other strong psychos make it impossible. And so they have to plan with utmost subtlety. And I think this is kind of fun just because like... I mean, we know they we know they're going to succeed eventually, and overall, it was just it was just neat to see this little vignette of the past. Yeah, I I I I agree with that. I think it's fun being it's fun being in this flashback. I I think it is it was surprising to me because I think doing a flashback in an epilogue is an interesting choice. Um, and in these past epilogues, we've seen dream memories, which which like I said, I think I thought this was at first. Um, but this, like we said, just a good old fashioned flashback. Um, and we learn later why this is happening. And I think it makes perfect sense once you have read through the entire chapter. But I was really, I was really surprised that an epilogue would have a flashback to a pre climax of the story moment. Like not, not only that, but like a pre any part in either of these stories moment. Um, but I think it does work here because the past, quote unquote, is such an important motif in the story. Like the, this idea of the things that have happened in the past and how those define us is so important to the story that that Jeff thinking about this moment, thinking about his past relationships when trying to plot a new course is seems so important to me. Like you have to consider those things. Those are things that you went through. Absolutely. All three interludes have started in, in the past in different ways. We, mm-hmm. we have a dream of the past. We have a kind of uh, rumination on on the past and, and where where chastity came from. And now we yeah. have a memory of the past. And I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if this if this keeps up this this idea that the the people have different ways of relating to the past, different ways of being stuck in the past. And maybe we're going to see some, some other modes of being stuck in the past in, in the yeah. subsequent epilogues. Like clearly the Kenzie one will have her watching the past on a, on a screen, obviously. Uh huh. Probably. Yes. I don't actually know, but that'd be cool. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so I think um, it's also neat that we get this insight into how, Jack has really always been thinking about the end of the world, mm-hmm. um, like his whole life. 
Um, and, and this kind of thing makes it crystal clear why he was enamored with the idea that he would end the world. Because he says, everything plateaus, everything declines. This ends with civilization in ruins, most of humanity dead, and the remainder bleeding and scared. Yeah, and, and the thing is, like, he's not wrong. I mean, this yeah. is a, this is another fun part of this being a flashback, is it, it, we have some dramatic irony here where we can be like, hey, he was right. It, this yeah. literally happens. He, he's, he's right about that, except he's not a king in the end. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and I, I think if you think about it for a bit, it makes sense that, like, the holder of the broadcast shard would be more in tuned with the idea of the eventual end of everything because uh-huh. like that's just like the plan yeah. um but the the thing about this is like he's right while also being wrong because like uh-huh. a lot of this book has been okay th- this is the end this is the plateau now what right i mean and right. and that's like that's the part that matters like he like ju- just like just like fortuna you get so wrapped up in the end that you forget that there's there's still a part after it <laughs> yeah. and 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 that's that's how they that's what they use to defeat fortuna that's what this whole story has been about what about been about the what now the what next the, how do we what do we how can we pick up the pieces and move on like there so in a way the existence of this moment just like while being technically correct is also literally proving him wrong in in mm-hmm. everything yeah exactly I, it, it's perfect right it's it's uh he, he desperately wants to end the world because he kind of wants his revenge on it but mm-hmm. what's what's funny what we've learned is that even the end of the world isn't the end of the world yep, yep. um the, the, these characters are going to go on beyond it i, I mean he, he, I, I guess most of humanity is dead the remainder were bleeding and scared for a time but now they are hopeful and forward-looking yep so King decides that they'll be announcing themselves tonight and tells Screamer to make everyone aware of his horrific deal that he's offering. Oh, gosh, I sure I sure did miss the Slaughterhouse Nine, which they're not even called that at this point. But man, did I did I miss him? Uh-huh. They're just so wonderful. It's just good. Good to hang out with them yeah, for a brief it's really, moment. It's really a shame. It's really a shame that we lost yeah. these great characters. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I mean. Not not jokingly, it's it's just Ward has been such a different story. I don't think the Slaughterhouse Nine would have really fit into Ward, honestly, no, as, as, as like a as like an arc long opponent, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's it's it um, it's very distinctly Worm opponent to the to the point where even like the talking about what they were gonna do to people like felt different to me. Yeah, like it, it felt like a before time conversation which is not to say like I mean people in Ward did fucking terrible stuff too, right? It was just it was just in a different kind of way yeah well it, it usually was like for a reason <laughs> rather <laughs> well, than just like i like pe- i like hurting people sure sure um, i mean cradle but even cradle he he was getting revenge sort of or or in his own mind i don't know i mean it it was a more it was definitely a, a, a un an ignoble goal um but it somehow didn't strike me as quite as monstrous as the the the, the nine um personally yeah, I could see that. So I really love this stuff. Um, Jacob, little more than an animal when he was at his worst, driven by instincts that seemed to be as sharp as the knives he carried, was tidying himself up like King liked him. Kurt, with his snarling mask, animal or demon, to hide the analytical, cold expression beneath. 
Um, I just love this dichotomy between them where they're they're sort of both pretending to be the opposite of what they are. Yeah, yeah. And and I would definitely read the wacky adventures of Harbinger and Jacob. They would not they would not be wacky, Matt. I don't know why you're saying wacky. They would be <laughs> horrifying. Ooh, yeah. Look at those wacky. Oh, they're going that's on what, another quest together. It's so wacky. That's what wacky means, right? No. No? Oh, <laughs> huh. I've been using it wrong for years. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I think it's a it's it's a wonderful contradiction. Um and I want to I want to put a, a pin in the idea of someone driven by instinct, because I think this is actually going to be super important to to five to Jeff, the nice number boy, because this is this is the only relationship. This is the most fresh relationship in his mind with Jacob. And it was a relationship in which one of them was driven entirely by um, by uh, like measurement, by order and Jacob is literally an agent of chaos. He is he is driven by instinct. He is chaotic, um, and they they complete each other. But if only, if only there was like another person that could complete him, that wasn't a raging psychopath. Yeah, some someone who offers a similar kind of unpredictability without the, the slaughter. Yeah, yeah. You really got to The key is without the slaughter. Yeah. Right. So five pauses his recollections of what is to him a recent memory and works his way through the ruins of the battle with the slaughterhouse a lot. He makes his way down Golem's stairway of hands and locates the mass of containment foam that holds Jack. Uh, He treats us to a detailed rundown of why containment foam is rarely used in combat and why his canister of foam dissolving solvent is super duper illegal. So, okay, first of all, I love that we're revisiting this this, sh- this slaughterhouse a lot background battleground. Um, yeah. Did you know that some people call it Slaughterhouse 9000? That's ne- not as ne- good. Never That's heard it before. Good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he makes, like, like I love, like, we're, we're slowly, like, realizing what's happening here. Right? We, we just saw this flashback, um, and we don't, we don't don't really understand where it was oriented in time at first. We don't understand where we are now. And then suddenly it's like, okay, we're in five's head. He's in the city of angels. We're crawling down golem hands. And we're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. He's going to visit Jacob. That's why we just saw this flashback with Jacob. It's a really cool, like build, build up to what is happening here and what we're about to see. Yes. I I thought it was beautiful. It was, it was so visually evocative for me. Like I, I would just love to see fan art of like this one, lone boy dressed like a miniature English accountant <laughs> making his way through which is really one of the more fantastic settings right it's mm-hmm. it's this area of Los Angeles that um uh shit Kansu is it I don't I don't remember damn don't anyway one, one of were, the there were Embringers besides the three yeah I right exactly the the Embringer who like stamps a city into a horrifying labyrinth uh, that inbringer had hit this area and then um, a whole bunch of like other uh, shaker powers had just had just completely messed it up. Yeah, and, and, yeah. and then, yeah, we follow Golem's Golem's hand statues like this would be so, such a this would be such a great image. I really would love to see like fan art of this. Yeah. Um, and and we haven't talked much about the writing in this chapter, but like it, it is very much in the mind of a number boy where it's like super detail oriented and, and measurement oriented and like specifics of angles and all that stuff. And I think that just kind of enhances the, the, the visual of him crawling through the city. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Right. <sighs> okay. So look, uh-huh. a lot of people out there are like, see Scott, 
See, this this is why, Scott, this is why you were wrong about containment foam three years ago, Scott. Do you do you feel burned, Scott? Do, do you feel burned? Well, no, because Jeff is clearly wrong here. Matt. And, and <laughs> let's recall that he's a deviation from the number boy line. And it's clear to me now that this deviation has resulted in errors in both calculation and just general knowledge. Um, and in conclusion, uh, it is not I, but the clone children who are wrong. Uh-huh. So. Okay. I mean, it's, it seems obvious to me. I don't know. Headcanon accepted. There we go. Moving on and All never right. talking about that again. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's uh, the containment foam thing I, I, I thought was pretty fun. Actually. No, it's fun. It's fun. Like, I think, like, I, I, I made a complaint, like, really early in the story and it like became a thing. And so I just like had fun with it throughout uh-huh. the rest of the story as it being a thing. Like I don't I never actually like cared. Like I don't think it ever actually made the story worse for me ever. Right. <laughs> I think it would just it was just a thing. Like I Katama Foam's cool. I, I like it. Yeah. That's the end. <laughs> me too. Um, but I, I think one of the cool things about this, and I kinda wanna talk to you about this, is so five is here. Um and he finds this big old like pile of containment foam. And, and, and as we're going through this explanation, um, we we see that like as he's spraying the anti-foam on it and he's giving his explanation, he's like, what what person could have what person could have merited this this expense, this expenditure of foam? And it's like Jacob, apparently Jack slash. And I don't uh-huh. know, like the first time I read it, I'm not so sure about this opinion anymore. But the first time I read it, I was like. Did he not like know for sure that this is where Jack was? Um, and that I, that's interesting to me. I, I think I think he did. I mean, he knew how the battle played out. Maybe yeah. he wasn't sure if this was the, the exact lobe of it. Um, yeah. But I, I, I think he did. I think it was more like just a, 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 a prose flourish to say, like, yeah. who had it been? It had been Jack. I think I think you're right. I think on a, on, a, on a second time through when I was like I wrote down my notes was like this is confusing and then I read it again and I was like I think you're right. It's just a little a little flourishy thing there yeah. um to to kind of try to get that that jack slash reveal land yeah. a little bit more. And I like that this like one of the things the book does here is I guess it's very possible for you to read that entire first section and not know that Jacob is jack slash. <laughs> like it could be possible, right? Like yeah. Jacob is used so long. I mean, like you remember who King is, you remember who Harbinger is um, and Screamer is, but it is possible that you don't remember. Like, cause I don't think Jack slash is said at all in that section. Cause I don't think he had adopted that name yet. No. Um, so this is just this sentence here. Jacob, apparently Jack slash just makes it clear <laughs> in case you forgot in case like, or, or you didn't want to Google Parahumans, Jacob, remind me who this is because I forgot about it. Um, the text here in the text is making that 100% clear. Yeah, it's it must be it must be a constant challenge to to be the writer of something that has that has gone on for this much time because there has to be a constant balance between trusting your readers to get things and then also maybe putting in clues for the people who don't have a podcast about the thing. <laughs> Don't, don't um, read each chapter four times and then talk about it for two hours a week. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. like for me, as soon as I saw like, OK, wait, Kurt and Jacob, Kurt. OK, Kurt. Kurt is number man. OK, that's OK. I got it. Like like that. That was all it took for me. Sure. But sure. but I, I'm sure there's I'm sure there's people out there who, who, who are like, what? what? 
but I mean, he throws in, he throws in a lot of other hints like Jacob, uh, hits his hood with the edge of like a, a nail file. And it's like, well, that's Jack's power. What else would that be? So, yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I mean, the hints are there, but I think yeah. the, the text does say, okay, I'm just going to state yeah, this out. Right. Right. Uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Right. Sure. So five prompted by Sveta starts talking to Jack as though paying respects at a grave. Jack's mind has melted after two years spent encased in foam, and he alternates between twitching and smashing his head against the gray boy barrier. And and look, I don't want to like wish horrible fates worse than death on anyone, but like maybe this one's okay. Yeah, <laughs> maybe this one's fine. I'm having a hard time feeling bad about it. Yeah, we also get told here that they've basically decided that they're going to be popping all the time bubbles, um, and if the person in it is enough risk which they kind of all are because i think he says something like 93 percent or 94 percent something chance of second trigger if you've been in one of these bubbles they're just gonna they're just gonna get rid of them Uh (laughs) so so bye bye jack this is just like the perfect ending for a perfect scumbag here yeah and and you know this was always true but we're, we're being faced with the fact that we have a suspicion that jack's trigger involved Something involving isolation. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a word of God about it. Let's, leaving the word of God aside, Kurt has just said like it, it was a long period of isolation that led to him triggering. Yeah, yeah. So him having his end be buried under foam for two years is such a poetic, evil, uh, you know, ending for this guy. Yeah, yeah. And it, we'll talk about this in a bit, but like he's Kurt has made the foam go away, and Jack sees the world for the first time. What's left yeah. of him in there sees the world for the first time including the sun. And I, I will get, I got, I, I want to talk about that so much, but we'll get there. But I love, I love this line here. It will be another seven weeks and three days. In the meantime, you get your ruins, you get your blood, you get to be king of your own desolate little world. It's just, uh-huh. uh, you know, I don't wish ill towards anyone, but this is satisfying. Yeah. Yeah. This is great. Mm-hmm. I, I, I wish ill toward Jack. <laughs> There you go. I'll okay. say it. Okay, you say it. You say uh, it. I'm trying. Yeah. I'm trying to be. Yeah. Fuck Jack. Like fuck yeah. Jack. Yeah. Bye yeah. bye. Bye. Yeah. So the emotionally constipated young man gradually unloads his feelings on Jack Slash. He talks about the idea that Kurt, all of the Kurts, really have always been more interested in order, in making the world make sense, than in Jack's vision of blood and ruin. Mm-hmm. Uh, because he finds it satisfying. He finds it more satisfying to create order and to make sense of things. Yeah. Um, except five himself doesn't really feel compelled to follow that path uh, in the same way that his brethren did. So neither Jack's vision nor the original Kurt's vision really appeals to him and makes him feel adrift. Yeah, I think, I think this exchange is, is so wonderful to me, Matt. So we know that Kurt left the slaughterhouse nine, like the second Jack took control of it, right? Yeah. And almost, and here we're, we're told specifically almost as a direct kind of rebuttal to the things that Jack stood for. Like Jack was was instinct and chaos, whereas Kurt is 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 order and analysis. Um, and, and and he says flat here, like this was not for noble purposes. Like it wasn't like I want to do good. It's just like you represent this. I want to represent the opposite of that. And let's see. If I can beat you, if, if my order and analysis can beat your chaos and instinct, um, and really just because that's the only way he understands the world, right? Yeah. That's just the way he sees the world. Um, and I love this moment where they say the world ended and he had the opportunity to make it make sense again, because basically the world ending the way it did with, with Jack was the, it being like, yeah, chaos uh-huh. instinct, 
Um, and Kurt gets an opportunity to make it go. No, 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 no. Order, order. Let's do order. Order's good. Yeah. Um, and we asked why he, why he did what he did, setting up the economy, helping. He described it as satisfying, like pressure washing a deck or finishing a puzzle. The outcome is inevitable. It's steady improvement of the world around you. Um, and that is oh, that's so there's <laughs> there's so much there, right? Um, because we yeah. see that that five has deviated from Kurt enough to where that satisfaction is valueless to him. Like the pressure washing a deck, finishing a puzzle, those things don't provide him the satisfaction in the same way that it did for his brothers. And it does for his dad. Sure. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. There's this great yin yang between these two characters. Mm -hmm. It's it's really a, a a great, a great dyad, a great dichotomy. Um, I mean, that's kind of what I was getting at when I said I'd watch the, the wacky adventures of these two characters because yeah, because just just um i mean this is this has been great it, it's the kind of great that makes me want more of it you know mm-hmm. um I, i'm just expressing the feeling of like oh this is satisfying in a in a deep way um this i i think i think also i'm just fond of like friend like friends who have some sort of tragic flaw at the heart of their friendship where you know they're going to become nemeses at some point Mm-hmm. Like I've I've always loved that general kind of plot. Like it's kind of a death note thing, sort of vaguely. Um, how, how dare you? How dare I'm you? Sorry, God, God, I know. <laughs> uh, Power Rangers and Death Note. We're we're doing well today. <laughs> yeah, no, I I know what you mean. Um, I'm I'm much more excited by the the malfunctions and and five yin and yang than than the horrible monster one. But I get yeah. what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. There is something I, I, there's some there's a motif I, I picked up here that I wanted to talk to you about a little bit because I think this is really interesting. There's this recurring image of the sun used throughout this chapter that I wanted to kind of talk about first. Um, when we first meet King, one of the things that is said is look out there and what do you see? The sun is set, Kurt volunteered. And this is hilarious, first of all, because like King is speaking metaphorically right figuratively like he's saying what do you see out there and kurt cannot see anything but the literal it's like yeah. the sun is set and he's like beyond that uh the stars are, are there yeah um so that 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 is our establishing moment um and then a little bit later king says the sun has set people hide in their homes listening to the news and they wonder if we are myths or magicians we will reveal the truth to them that we are monsters get yourself cleaned up or they will think we are the pathetic sort of monster so now king takes kurt's literal observation and makes it both literal and metaphorical because he's saying yes it's nighttime the sun has set but also the sun has set on this world and we are going to show it what we are going to shoot the sun has set on the world. It's time for the monsters to come out. We're going to show this world what it really is. Um, so he's like, he's using kind of a, a figurative language bit of language there that I really love. Oh and yeah. Th- and then in this scene, as Jeff is airing out his feelings at Jack slash, we get this beat. The man continued to stare at the sun to the point he would be damaging his eyes. If that was even possible. So perhaps I'm reading into this a bit too much. And it's literally just supposed to represent Jack's insanity and also the fact that the foam is gone for the first time in, in two years. But I, I I can't help but look at this as the third beat. The sun is set. The monsters are coming out. Jack, for the first time, gets uncovered by foam. And look, buddy, look what's up in the air. The sun is there again. You were wrong, you stupid asshole. 
you were wrong. You were both wrong. <laughs> King was wrong. You were wrong. There's the sun. Here it comes. It's still up there. Life is going on. The sun has risen again. Fuck you. I, I yeah. think it's, I love it. I love it so much. Yeah. Um, I, I do too. I love the visual motif. It, it, I mean, it, it plays, it plays perfectly into everything we've been talking about too. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, it's just perfectly of a piece with, with, with the ideas, which is exactly how you should do a, yeah. a visual motif. Um, yeah. And I, and I know Jack has gone nuts as of course you kind of would in that hell, but I can't help but seeing that look at the sun and reading into a, a bit of realization about just how wrong he was in, in it. Um, yeah. In some, some, it, yeah. some pocket in his brain that might still be aware enough to, to process that um, because it gives me satisfaction and makes him more miserable and that makes me happy. So yeah. that's my head cannon. Yeah. Staring at the sun. Also, I feel like that might be like a Kemi reference, but I can't actually put my finger on the exact reference right now. So maybe not. Okay. Okay. Um, there is also one more sun reference in the book. It doesn't in this chapter. I mean, it doesn't quite line up as well as that three beat, but there is in a few paragraphs where five is looking at Sveta and the sun like catches on the droplets of her hood. And like he glanced at her, the sun was still peering through the clouds and the droplets on her colorful hood were catching in the light, almost as if to, to, to figuratively say like your path to the sunshine, to the sun rising and not setting goes through this girl. Can't you see Uh that? Look how the sun's catching on her, on her, her hood, her face. Look, look at how it's shining on her. This is your path forward. This is, this is your hope. Um, I, I don't know. I don't like the, the the other three feel of a purpose. This one is a little bonus for me that I don't feel as confident uh, of the purposefulness of it, but I still really like it. Well, yeah, I mean, you just say that the sun, the sun is shining on Sveta, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the sun, the sun rises the next day, even if it's set. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's funny. It's, it's always funny for someone to say like the sun is setting on, on, on this. And it's like, yeah, but, that that's that's not, not that's not a great metaphor because the sun will rise again. Yeah, it's literally like, like one of the only constants we have in this world. That yeah, it's got, that's definitely going to come back. Yeah, yeah, like like pick a better metaphor for an ending <laughs> because it, it will definitely come back. Um, so yeah, the sun has risen again and it's shining on Sveta. I, mm-hmm. I think that I think that works. That yeah. works for me. Yeah. Cool. Um, I I love this particular exchange. Um, I love it a lot. I think you'd regret it if you'd missed the opportunity to say to say uh, to say something or see him. I'm not sure I would. You said you regretted a lot of things. In those moments, I don't think you thought you would. You nodded at that, considering it owned by logic. Yeah, it it, it is owned <laughs> by logic. It, it, I mean, it, it's just a great. It's, it's like a perfectly general statement too, of just like the the, the reason why you should do something you're very often able to talk yourself out of it, but it's, it's can be helpful for someone to be like, I think you'll regret this if you don't do it because yeah. you've regretted similar things in the past. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think this yeah. is really the part of the, the, where the, the chapter really starts to shift to specifically show how Sveta is being this person for five, um, like that he is lost. And the thing about being lost is someone, it takes someone to find you sometimes and, and lead you home to whatever your home ends up being. Um, and, Sveta is that person for five and she had people help her with that, right? Like that was breakthrough in Victoria and she's kind of paying it forward in a way. Yeah, I I think so. Yeah. I think that she sees someone who she recognizes as being, what's interesting is 
you can't really say, oh yeah, five is in the same situation as Sveta. Like now, like really, really very few details, if any, are are are, are similar or, or reminiscent. Mm-hmm. But I think it's it's like, well, he's struggling with finding his place, and I think that is what she was seeing that that she could help with. Yep. So in the car ride back to semi-civilization, the pair of them consider why Five might have deviated from his brothers uh, and what path he might choose now. He mentions that Sveta was a bit of a flashpoint. The others wanted Sveta dead, and he didn't, and the feelings were strong enough on both sides to drive in the wedge. After a nap, he says that part of what drives him is a desire to understand things that he doesn't that he doesn't understand. And isn't like isn't Sveta just the perfect vector for that kind of thing? Like she's just the perfect character when you set that up, it's like, I want to yeah. understand things that don't make any sense. And it's like, Hey, it's Feta. <laughs> yeah. She's, she's almost like perfectly crafted to annoy the specific parts of, of number man, right? Like yeah. she's artistic. She's inconsistent. Like, I, like Sveta is a character who, who throughout the course of this book has driven a lot of the community mad in the ways in which she's sometimes pushed against or rejected. Like, the logical, the rational, the utilitarian path. Like she's kind of always been like the, nah, no, I don't want, that sounds bad. And like yeah. to the point where a lot of people were like, uh, Sveta, why? And, yeah. and, and so to, to put her up with the type of person who thinks that way specifically, I think is just brilliant. Like, it's just like, I, and, and I don't, I hadn't seen it until this point. Like, I just thought it was a fun plot point. And I mean, it, it's cool because of, how it relates to Sveta's specific cauldron conflict. Like it's really cool in that way. But on the other side of it, from, from the number boy perspective, I think it's just wonderful as well. Um, and, and Wild Bill captures this, this central concept of misunderstanding and confusion through music. Yeah. <laughs> and I think this is really cool because she's listening to the song in the car and it says, it was harmonic with borderline abrasive synth tones with more emphasis on where the notes weren't than anything. Sveta's head bobbed with the staccato breaks in the music and he can't stand it. He hates it. And she doesn't say it's good either. Right. Like it's like you're awake. It's interesting. It's not good, but it's new. So it's like she's agreeing. Yeah, it's not good, but like it's new and different and it's cool and I like it and it's creative and and he he just doesn't get that at all. And she's like, yeah, but you can learn. Like, there's 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 the way to learn. I, like the emphasis on where the notes weren't, I think, is just a brilliant way to show the ways in which Sveta confuses the shit out of of a person of order and and analytical stuff like like Number Man is. Yeah, it's uh, this is really interesting to me because it's funny. I, I forgot about this until this moment, but it reminds me of um a when i used to hang out with with uh, a guy we, we would listen to this um like uni- local university radio station and in fact local university radio stations always have this this quality i found where they just play the weirdest shit and mm-hmm. um and it's because they're usually being you know dj'd by like some student who's volunteered to do it and they kind of want to show off how eclectic they are mm-hmm. and and so like everything you're listening to is just like completely weird and esoteric and you'll never hear anything like it again and <laughs> um and like it's not what i would really choose to spend my time listening to i mean i'm I'm someone who listens to like the same four cds like ten thousand times each mm-hmm. with, without exaggeration that is how i live my life um but but like i can i can I, I, you know, my friend clearly like to listen to this other radio station and and I, and I can see the appeal of it but i also like my comforts, right? I just, it's a fun, it's a fun dichotomy of these two types of character. Like the, the guy who wants everything to be nailed down in its place, understood, comfortable, 
and Sveta, who doesn't want to be comfortable. She wants to explore. Yeah, and, and she's okay with the fact that she doesn't exactly like the sound of it because just the idea of something that I've never heard before is interesting to her. And, yeah. and I mean, like, the thing is, like, it's not saying that, like, music by itself is is anti-order because it's not, right? Like, there there is, you can get super analytical with music and put it and make it very ordered and controlled and, and, and analyzed. Like, you can do that with music. It's just that's not the type of music that she's listening to right now. And it's just like a, I, I just love it as a way to perfectly encapsulate their differences while also just being totally true to who Sveta is, because like this we we see here, we get reminded that this is coming from Weld, who was like Weld was basically that friend of yours. Like the, exactly like he just loved weird ass music. Like uh-huh. That was that was one of his things. Um, and and so that that it makes total sense that this rubbed off on her in a way. Yeah, um, I, I love it. I love it so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Um, so we kind of jump ahead a bit. Jeff, the nice number boy is next seen helping the major malfunctions beat down a giant, terrifying machine army putty robot. Uh, <laughs> he sort of seems to be helpful in the fight, but then after it's over, he realizes that they would have been fine without him. Mm-hmm. So like five has a bit, a, a bit of an ego, I would say, but not so much that he can't accept uh, that these guys are actually competent. And, you know, I, I think he'll make a great fit on this team in, in kind of a hilarious fit while being a misfit way. Um, and, you know, I, I think, uh, like, Sveta says, what five needs isn't really a purpose so much as a family. Mm-hmm. And and that clued me into, like, what is going on with this chapter, which I don't think I had I'd gotten until the, until this point. Because, like, like the way the way five frames it, is like oh I had this purpose and then I had this purpose and then I had this purpose and then but but he also sort of subtextually frames it in a way where I think Sveta pays more attention to the fact that well first he had his family in the slaughterhouse nine mm-hmm. then he then he switched to his family being Cauldron and then his family became Citrine and and the Number Boys um, so it's it's not it, it's it's family that he needs it's not it's not some abstract purpose it's it's people who can rely on him and and, and, yeah. and who, for him to rely on. Yeah. And, and it's, it's the yin to his yang. Um, yeah. but just like a, a, a better, a better one. Yeah. Um, yeah. God, can we talk about this forever? Yeah. <laughs> like the major malfunctions or majors as they're now called yeah. are, are just the perfect family for, for a number boy looking to make sense of things he doesn't understand because they don't make sense, Matt. Uh-huh. They've got like zero official training. They probably should have died like a hundred times by now, but they didn't, they're still here. They're still alive. And as, as we see here, as we take that pin out of the concept of instinct, they are people that operate primarily on instinct. That is like, he, he, he watches them fight and he helps them. And what I want to make, make sure is clear here is that like, it's not like he participates in this fight and it is determined that, Oh, actually they don't need my help at all. And there's nothing I can contribute to this group. Obviously that's not true, but it's just, they process the battlefield in a way that is entirely different from his method. Um, and, and it throws him off. He didn't expect it and they can teach him something and he can teach them something. And it's, it's our perfect kind of Jacob Kurt relationship coming together in people that are so much better for each other than those two were. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's, it's actually, I'm kind of geeking out right now just imagining how functional they'll be once he actually integrates with the team because mm-hmm. like imagine his power coupled with 
with withdrawals, like like his his ability to to mathematically understand things with like withdrawals, physics breaking goo that he that he uses. It's like yeah. man, that they're gonna be they're gonna be such such a, a powerhouse. Um, they are. They're gonna be really great because they're gonna be the best of both worlds. They're gonna work well instinctually, and they're gonna have one of the best analytical minds ever yeah. working with them. It's it's fun. It's a great. It's a like. I wonder. I wonder if this is like a, a an outcome that Wildo has had planned all along, or if this just like struck <laughs> him at some point as like you know it would be absolutely perfect because it really is. It really is absolutely yeah. perfect. I mean, it is. It is the way. It's one of the things that I think is so fascinating about storytelling is that just like let's hypothetically say we don't know for sure, but let's hypothetically say no, this was not planned from the beginning. But you're just you're just looking at all your pieces and you're saying, okay, I got this piece in, in number five. Like I've been doing all this stuff with him. I got this piece in the major malfunctions. And then you just look at these pieces, maybe from a different angle. And you're just like, Oh, wait a minute. Look at, look at, Oh my God. They fit together so perfectly. And then you just run with it. And it just, it just becomes beautiful and it becomes so perfect that it, even if it wasn't, it seems like that was where the, story was heading all along right um i i I love it i love it so much i never i never saw it coming never saw it coming um it's it's so satisfying like pressure washing a deck or finishing a puzzle (laughs) exactly exactly we're just a couple of number boys matt i like i like i like things to make sense scott that's why i had to do this podcast (laughs) and you like to be creative that's why you did this podcast yeah i like but i don't really like like weird music though i'm not a weird music person so yeah it doesn't yeah. the the metaphor doesn't work perfectly. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, yeah. So Sveta gives uh, a doc a document to um, Jeff saying that Citrine and all of his brothers have signed off on his decision to depart, and they're giving him some seed capital. Mm-hmm. And he signs it. Um, I, I love <laughs> the detail that like number four, which is the crazy crazy uh-huh. one, like. Uh-huh. He can see just with the pen stroke that he signed it more reluctantly than the others. Yeah. <laughs> but still, yeah. he signed it. He did. Yeah. He's, there, there's not going to be. I think that's good because that, 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 that allows us to relax and be like, okay, yeah. Right. Like this is, I mean, this is the weird thing about epilogues is that like there's not a lot of tension really. I mean, and there's not supposed to be at this point, right? Like this is the denouement. This is the end. This is past the end. Like we don't need to deal with like tension and conflict and these kind of things. It's just supposed to be resolution. So like we don't want like lingering fears really. And I think like, so I think that the extra step of saying like, not only can you choose this family, but yes, your old family, even, even the evil one (laughs) is like, is cool with it. They're okay. Uh And so like, there's no lingering tension here. Like really i mean i guess if you squinted you could say oh what if they change their mind and then come hunt him down and kill him i guess that could happen but i I don't think the text wants you to be thinking that i think the text wants you to be like everyone's cool with this if you're cool with it this can be your home now yeah well also i kind of feel like um uh, one quality of 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 kurtz is that kurtz sort of rise to the level or sink to the level of the family that they're with um when he was with slaughterhouse nine he was a monster when he was with Cauldron, he was like a very sort of uh, the, the sort of person who would say morals with, with a with a dry tone, and yet he was working <laughs> to um, to to avert the apocalypse. Like he and and then and then now he's with Citrine and his brothers, 
who um, have like this this complicated kind of family dynamic where they're kind of like her kids, but they're also kind of her ex-husband. And, and, and like, I just, I think that they're, they intrinsically don't want to be mass murderers. They just will do that if that's what people are doing around them. So there's no reason for me to believe that, uh, that his brother's going to come after him is what I'm saying in a long winded way. Yeah. I gotcha. Cool. 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 All right. Um, so we haven't talked much about Sveta during this chapter yet. And, yeah, I understand why, because we're in number boys point of view and we're like reaching his conclusion. But I think we'd be doing a big disservice to the character if we don't spend some time on her before we wrap up this this week's episode, because I think like what's happening here in the background, like it happened with rain. And I think like it happened with Victoria is Sveta is getting her conclusion as well. Um, like so we see in this chapter, she's traveling around the U.S. with. Jeff, the nice number boy, helping him and searching for stuff. And we see here in this chapter that this is something she loves. She she enjo- she says, I love traveling. I'm enjoying this. And we remember that some of her happiest moments at the start of this book were, were when she was with Weld, traveling around the world, looking for her home. And for a time, she really thought that the reason that made her so happy was because she was with Weld. Um, but she's gone through that relationship. She's left that relationship and I think she's learned a little about herself and she's learned that she just really likes to travel. And if it's with a person that she likes, it's great. It's not weld as the answer to everything. It's just traveling with a person you like just makes you happy. And that's what that's a thing that she enjoys. That's a thing that makes her happy. Having good company makes her happy. Even if that company is the clone of an ex Slaughterhouse Nine member who also was a former Cauldron person and a bun- brother of a bunch of dudes that totally wanted to kill you. Yeah, of course. And that I think is another part like she trusts a number boy like she's not like tolerating him because it's convenient or because it's for the greater good or because there's a world ending threat happening in, in, in the near future and, and recognizes his skill and it's necessary to, to be with this person for now. She's helping this dude because she cares about him and because she wants to. And he's cauldron kind of, Um, yeah that that's a big deal (laughs) that's a big deal no it it is i mean she she's come she's come a long way we've watched we've watched her her come all this way right so if anything this is just more denouement this is like yeah this is manifestation of her having found peace with all these things like Mm -hmm. like one thing i noticed that i didn't want to to let slide was like her arm is described as looking like braided tendrils mm-hmm. and it's like okay well it's an arm it's not a she's not a writhing mass of of death mm-hmm. but it's also not a, a a perfect arm you can see the the braids we don't know if she's if she's doing that on purpose to kind of allow it to to relax or if now at this point she just permanently kind of has kind of a braided um imperfect appearance to her to her body um in either case, I think it sort of says the same thing that like her body is not really something where she's hyper fixated on its perfection anymore. She's come to accept that maybe it'll never quite be exactly the way she would want it to be. Um, and so she's come to an acceptance with that. She's come to an yeah. acceptance with, with, uh, with Jeff here. And, um, you yeah. know, she's just, she's just going, go, going forward and she seems happy. Yeah, I mean, there's also there's so many little things here, too. Like, I think just the fact that she's listening to Weld music also shows that she's kind of 
either gotten further along or completed the process of getting over someone, right? Like yeah. I think there's a time in a breakup where your ex's music is just a path to emotional pain recalling your time with them. But she's just happily enjoying this this weld music, um, not really thinking anything about it. I mean, we, we don't see inside her head, but it doesn't seem like she's considering it any more than just this is music that my ex introduced me to and I grew to like it because my because I, I like it now. Um, and that's all it is. I, I think the fact that she is the one that designed the major's costumes also shows she's gotten confidence in her fashion. Remember, that was a part that she was very unsure of her fashion sense and Victoria helped her with that. And and she still went to Victoria for final approval. But the text says she's the one that designed them. She designed these concepts costumes she went to victoria victoria said yeah those look fucking great do it um that again shows that she's found herself a little bit and she's got more confidence in her creativity as it extends to the world of fashion um there's so much here like in that that's it's right in front of you but it is not the focus of the chapter showing just how good of a place sveta has gotten to um and and i i loved it so much yeah. Yeah. Me too. It's so satisfying. Yeah. And then the, the last bit of the chapter is come along on my next road trip. Maybe that's all I'd like help in finding my home this summer. And so we leave Sveta helping someone else find his home and then searching for hers. Yeah. Um, and which is not a full, which is not a fully satisfying ending, right? It, it's not saying, ah, Sveta's home, right? No, it's, it's less, it's, it's not like, like, like rain, rain sort of found his people. Sure. That felt good. This feels good in a, in a very different way. Sveta isn't; she hasn't found her home, but but she is she is optimistically looking for it. Yeah, and that's that's positive in a different way. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Yeah, um, cool. I mean, yeah, I mean, satisfying feels like not, like my my gut reaction when you said it's not very satisfying is to it was to push back on you, um, but it is it's a different it, it is she is not completed her journey. Yes. In, in a similar way to the fact that Rain has found his place, but has still not completed his journey. Right. That Victoria has maybe found her place, but has still not completed her journey. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. I mean, it, it's 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 not Sam Gamgee returning from his trip and there's like absolutely everything is fine. Yeah, right. The end. Right. It's which is not, you know, I, I don't I don't I don't think that would work thematically with the themes that we have in the story. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I think this is for the story that was being told, like the perfect end for Sveta. Yeah, I agree. All right, Scott, let's talk about last week's discussion question, All which right. was your, your brilliant question of why epilogues? You paused, um, a little, a little too long after brilliant. Um, no, what do you mean what? by that? No. <laughs> so why epilogues? Sure. Watson says, I've read this somewhere in, on a discord server, but it's been so long. I've forgotten who it was. Sorry for the lack of attribution. Basically, the commenter was talking about the concept of aftercare, that after very rough sex, the dominant partner is supposed to make sure their partner is reassured, treated gently, and made to feel good. The commenter specifically said that Ward hadn't been doing that properly. I think that it was somewhere around arc 18 or 19 when, when the Titan slugfest was still ongoing and didn't show any signs of relenting. So, with this awkward metaphor, I'm proposing that epilogues in general can serve to provide that aftercare, when doing so during the main story would have disrupted the flow of the narrative. 
so far, the epilogue chapters have been doing a damn good job of that. We see what we get to see Chevalier steering the wardens in a new direction. Victoria uh, takes some time for herself. We get to see Rain and Chastity talk about their feelings and maybe future relationships, as well as a reconciliation for Foyle and Perrion. Basically, each of the characters we saw were in a good position and on a good trajectory. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's a wonderful metaphor. It, it is an interesting metaphor, but yeah. I will say, like, um, read American Psycho. If you, if, and if, if you think that literature like needs or should have this attitude of, of taking care of you, <laughs> cause yeah, I, don't, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I, 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 I think that this book was trying to make us feel exactly the way it made us feel. So yes, yes. Yeah. Anyway, I, 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 I don't want to get into critiquing critiques right now, but I, sure. I, I agree with what you just said. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, up next, we have Sarah Penguin, who lists a couple reasons. Uh, the first is desiderium, uh, that feeling when you spend so long on a book living in a world that you feel sort of lost and numb when you come out of it, or you want more book, but there is no more book. Epilogues help with that by providing some idea of the future for characters you love, but vague enough your imagination has to do most of the work. After a lot of heartbreaking and gut-wrenching moments, we get some happy moments. We saw how lonely Lisa was in her interlude and saw what Victoria has been through, and now we get to see them tease each other and be happy, which is cathartic. Responsible author should provide aftercare there's aftercare again for the readers after a long hard emotional pounding i feel those those emotions when i saw e1 but it would have hit me harder if there was no epilogue at all uh themes is sarah penguin's next example it is one last chance to hit the readers who didn't pay much attention over the head with the themes we also get to see the application of lessons that have been learned in the last chapter we see victoria learn to stop throwing herself into violence but we see how that lesson will affect her future in the epilogue World building and, sequ- and sequel. It helps to build the idea that the world exists for more than just the story and can leave room for another book. We saw Dragon Defiant, Heartbroken, and Undersiders in the Worm epilogue, and they were very important in Ward. We saw the Wardens being made and teased the idea of the flock. Even had Amy, Teacher, and Ziz mentioned, and they turned out to be antagonist. We got some mention of possible threats and teased the idea of shard messages in the chapter, but leave them for another day. I have no idea if there will be a pair of humans three, but Wildbo has left the door open just in case he wants to. Good yeah. answers. Yeah. yeah. I like, I mean, all three of these feel really, um, true <laughs> to yeah, me. Definitely. Um, yeah, I, I do. I'm, I'm fascinated by this, by this perspective that authors are supposed to provide aftercare. I've read so many books that were just harrowing and brutal experiences with nothing positive or entertaining that I still find <laughs> to be valuable literature. Yeah, so I don't, I, I just don't think that's true. I think that this is maybe true for a certain type of genre fiction. Sure. Sure. But sure. I don't want to get sidetracked. Yeah. Um, I, I love that answer overall. So, I do too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the way Wildbo likes to conclude stories, big all or nothing breakneck, uh, fast paced final conflicts doesn't leave a lot of room for gradually wrapping up character stories over the course of the final act. Compare it to say a doorstopper fantasy novel where the action is spread out a long time in space enough that you can probably fit conclusion stuff in. So Wildbo leaves it until after the finale and he can provide closure to the characters without a big point of narrative tension breathing down their necks. I won't say this approach is better or worse than another one, but it's the one he uses. Um, yeah, I mean, sure. Like, um, I, I honestly find Wildbo's endings very satisfying. And the thing is, across across all the different Wildbo stories, they actually vary quite a quite a bit in length. Um, in, in many cases, they're just sort of one chapter of. Uh, well, in many cases, he hasn't written that many things. Mm-hmm. It, it, sometimes it's just one chapter in length, um, yeah. and it still feels really satisfying. So I think it just it's sort of like how it's a it's a how you use it and then what is it for type thing. Yeah. I, I, 
I love this point of, of uh, months for college saying, you know, can provide closure without a big point of narrative tension breathing down their necks. I think that ties in really nicely to what we were talking about there at the end of the last chapter with the idea that like we can see closure without having to be worried about conflict. If you know what I mean? Like it's just, it's just resolution. Um, Sure. Well, you know, what's funny is, you know, we, we talk about two chapters for two hours every week. Mm -hmm. And the thing is the reason we're able to, to find a lot of these, kind of details and, and things like that is is that we we did spend the time on it right but if you're just reading it through once your mind is going to be dominated by your your like in the moment anxiety about the conflicts that are happening sure and you're going to notice the stuff that's going on at the, at the periphery but you're not going to notice it with the same level of like volume if you will um so yeah so slowing down like uh um yeah um like like Sarah Penguin said, g- g- um, banging us over the head with the themes mm-hmm. in a mm-hmm. setting where we're actually going to be receptive to them because we're not distracted by other things. I think yeah. that's a good a good thing. Yeah, I agree because like there's not a giant titan destroying the world as we speak. Yeah, um, it, it's yeah. You, you, I agree. You are more receptive to the themes in a in a resolution type atmosphere. I agree. Yeah, yeah. Um, Kausubalu says epilogues provide catharsis to the reader, letting them see the consequences of the character's actions within the climax and how the world has begun to adjust to the change in status quo. Um, I, I like that answer a lot because I think like in traditional narrative story structure, like we get to our cli- climax and then we have our moment of resolution. And a lot of authors like cut the resolution fairly short in the chapters proper. And so like the, the hero's journey, like the return home changed portion of the hero's journey is relegated to epilogues a lot. And I think in that function, it serves very much as just like a, like if the important part is how do the characters change over the course of the story and, and the climax is that moment of, of final change, then the epilogue provides a way to see what that change actually, actually long-term accomplishes. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it, it uh, the the last the last part of of this arc and the epilogues are basically Act Five in a five act structure. Mm-hmm. They're they're the um, consequences, if you yeah. will. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, Sleeper class threat says I once heard epilogues described as revealing the fates of the characters. At the time, that wording passed through one ear and out the other. But since I've been stewing over it in response to this question, I find it a really interesting concept. The end of this book isn't the end of the characters, just the, just the end of the main plot. The epilogue is focused on how the plot has changed the characters and hints toward who they are now that the plot is over. The end of the story's main body covers what happens to the characters, whereas the epilogue puts control back into the hands, back into their hands and allows them to decide who they are now in the aftermath. You can see this in how Victoria is handled at the end of the arc versus the first epilogue. In 2011, she is still adjusting and re- reacting to what is happening around her. She's searching for resolution and tweaking her mindset as she goes along. Then, when we see her in 20.e1, she has finally reached the pinnacle of who her experiences were shaping her to become. There's no more indecision on who she is meant to be. Her fate has been revealed. Uh, they then say there are exceptions, um, such as those where you're just setting up dominoes for a sequel. Um, but this model works best for any, any story where the storyline has actually finished. Yeah. Yeah. 
I like that answer a whole lot. Thank you so much. I haven't seen the name sleeper class threat in our discussion questions before. So if you're if you're new to answering discussion questions, awesome. Welcome. Yeah. Um, If you're not and I just forgot your name. Sorry. (laughs) All right. Last but certainly not least, we have Farm Fresh Hornets who says sometimes there's a lot of hanging threads left in a story. And by the time of by the time of resolution, because it would have been so incredibly awkward to cram them all into the falling action. The story has to end at some point because presumably the author has picked the most interesting part of the characters lives to tell you about. And now that they finished that part. So and now they finished that part. So keeping the focus on the, their day to day progress would be comparatively slow and boring. I would bring up examples from a certain anime or manga series here, but I don't want Scott to break out in hives. Thank you. Thank you so much. The story has to end by saying we've cleared the peak. It's all easier going for these characters you love from here. Why epilogue to say and here's where the, where the these people you care about are going now that they have a chance to live the way they wanted instead of the way they have to i really really like that the first chapter of the epilogue is in the same time frame as the last chapter of the book it starts at roughly the same time and ends just a few minutes after it signals that yes there's still work to do yes the immediate threats haven't been totally tied up wildbow knows and acknowledges that but it's not what he's going to talk about if it hadn't but it's not what he's going to talk about if it hadn't but ugh, I can't read, but it's not what he's going to talk about. If it hadn't kicked into epilogues here, if 20.E1 had instead been 20.A and we'd had a whole waking up, waking everyone up and pushing away the machine army fallen action arc. Can you imagine how fucking tense that would be? Not in the story, but here in the community, we'd be checking over every detail to look for hints that this was all Fortuna or the Seamerick's plan all along. And the victory was really a fake out. It would suck. Why this epilogue? Because the parahumans world doesn't get a clean resolution where every problem is neatly wrapped up. But the story with the ideas and themes is trying to convey through the events in the world is done now. And that needs to be signaled somehow. That is, uh, I think, to me, the perfect way of kind of wording what we've been talking about. This idea that like um, you signal the story is over and that allows the final moments to land with attention that is different from normal book tension. Yeah, I, I think that's a perfect, a perfect way of saying it is if, if this was if this if this was, you know, chapter if this was chapter 21 dot um, uh, three, then, then it would feel totally different than if mm-hmm. it was, you know. Uh, yeah, I, I, I get it. Yeah. completely. Yeah. yeah, you're you're able, I think when you call something an epilogue, you're able to lean into the fact that everyone knows that the story is over now. Like every it, this is this is after the end of the story yeah like it's, it's a fun it's a fun like conceit of how we have decided stories should be told especially in the written form yeah yeah love it love it cool all right next week's discussion question is who are the best seemingly odd couple in parahumans and this doesn't have to be romantic if you don't want to make it that way um this is a this is a nod to both our number boy and his odd couple relationship but also chastity and rain and their odd couple relationship. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot. I mean, you, you could even say Harbinger and uh, and Jack. You could. You could. Yeah. yeah. All right. That's all we got for you this week on We've Got Ward. You guys are all part of this show, so feel free to provide us with advice, questions, or thoughts on this week's reading. Yeah, we're running out of time, folks. Provide those questions or thoughts sooner rather than later. Yeah. You can reach out to us via email at gotwormpod at gmail.com or over on our Twitter account at gotwormpod. My personal Twitter is at scottdaily85 and Matt's is at containmentfoam is overpowered. Dinamail. I can't believe you're still on that, Matt, even after 
everything that happened. I'll never let it go. Yeah. Uh, if you're not already subscribed to We've Got Ward, we strongly recommend you you hit that subscribe button and never miss an episode. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else in the world you can listen to podcasts. We need to add Spotify with that list because we're there too. Spotify. Yeah. There you go. I'm going to add it right now and right. it'll be there for the next like two or three episodes. Yeah, it's the, the, we just copy paste our scripts, folks. There you go. Spoilers. Um, and as always, you can find this and all the other shows we do over at our website, doofmedia.com. This Friday at 9.30 p.m., Matt, we're going back to the Stormlight Archive, and we are finishing up our book club covering The Way of Kings. We're doing part two, which is the second half of the book. We'll be doing that this Friday, 9.30 Central. Um, it was a great conversation last month, and I am very much looking forward to talking about the second half of the book, which I think I can say that I enjoyed considerably more than I did the first half. So I agree. So uh, if you've read that book before or haven't, I guess just show up and hang out with us for a couple hours and talk about Brandon Sanderson and the Stormlight Archive. Yeah, that's going to be great. Yeah. Um, yeah, so if you like any of our shows and you want to support them, consider donating to our Patreon account at patreon.com slash doofmedia. Supporting us on Patreon at the $20 per month level allows you to select a movie or a short story for us to do an episode of the Doofcast about. Mm -hmm. uh, it, as well as every other level, gives you the ability to vote in our quarterly fan art and costume contest and the excellent Discord chat as well. Yeah, and also our, our book club votes for which book we're covering next, which is happening right now. So if you're not a patron yet, this is a great time to vote what book we're going to be covering next week. Um, I did not put a Sanderson book on that list this time because... The rule in our book club is if you put a Sanderson on on the vote, it will win immediately. Uh -huh. And, you know, sometimes we need a little break from Brando. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Put, put our finger on the scale of democracy there. <laughs> that's that's fine. Um, but, yeah, um, of course, head on over to patreon.com slash wildbow and donate to wildbow as well, because this world that we're probably about to leave that was his and we were just playing in it all that time yeah he made that whole world up folks like yeah. all of it like the whole thing yeah i don't know if you realized it but he wrote those books every single word yeah it's amazing FYI. yeah yeah little known fact <laughs> special thanks this week to new patrons weldon l jack t philip r hippo camper jamie s uh, new doof dancers jess and peter v a new doof trooper Brian J. Wow. Welcome. And, and thank you for upgrading those of you who did. We appreciate that so much. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's really awesome to see. Yeah, it, it really is. Um, I think we're start we're starting to get, believe it or not, we're starting to get people in our Patreon that don't, uh, listen to this show and probably uh -huh. will never hear their names here. Um, but that's this weird thing about like our, our community has expanded to the point where people that haven't read wild Bo works before are starting to join it. Um, we're going to have to figure out a way to solve that problem. But for now, everyone just give those people a round of applause that they maybe cannot hear. Okay, good. All job. right. All right, good. And of course, if you cannot afford to donate right now, that is absolutely okay. You can always help us out by sharing this podcast everywhere. Ward is coming to an end. There's a lot of people that now that it's ending have been waiting for the end so they could so they could binge it. And they're they're going to maybe want a companion for that binge. And it could be us. So yeah. recommend our podcast to them as they're binging the book. And of course, you can always help us out by heading on over to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher and leaving us a rating and a review. We have a new review this week, Matt. It's been a while. But we have a new review that comes from more Draka, who says incredibly eye opening look into literary analysis through an engaging lens. Remarkable insight and in-depth 
remarkably insightful and in-depth of a complex and challenging piece of writing. Their analysis is intensive and their interactions are immensely entertaining. My only warning to those going in is that they are awfully fond of things being normal. They tend to skew towards a fairly shallow view on morality, and overall you can tell they put their absolute all into analyzing the work, but touch less into actually thinking about it. There are some indescribably bad takes in here. <laughs> that said, absolutely worth the time to listen. Uh, thank you. Thank I mean, you for your feedback. It's it's five stars, so I'll, yeah. I'll take it. I'll take all five I'll, of those. Stars. I'll take it. I'll I take would. It. I would. Um, I would describe the bad takes, but you you just can't. You can't. just can't describe They're them. So awful. Yeah. I. How do you analyze something without thinking about it? I don't know. It's. I. I don't. I don't know, Scott. I. I look, we, we appreciate your your positive <laughs> yes. review, and we and 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 on a certain level, I can even understand your frustration. Although obviously, I'm me, so you know, <laughs> I think that I was right. You know. You know what I say? I say five stars are five stars. Five stars. Yeah, that's that's well said, Scott. Well said. <laughs> Thank you so much. That's all we've got for you this week. Next week, the end? Question mark. I. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe we'll see. I guess we will.